What up, Doe One Pride? This is the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, the podcast where one pride goes worldwide. My name is Anthony Fitzpatrick. I'm joined this evening by Ryan McCluskey. It is a Friday night and we are here for the College Football Podcast. There is a good reason for the change of date. We'll get to that in a moment. But Ryan, we are well on the way to the NFL draft now and it's pyjama game season. How are you uh, How are you enjoying the combine so far? Oh, I love it. The, the kids get freaker every year. The, the D-line get faster. The linebackers get twitchier. And it's... And it's just crazy how football has evolved in the last few years. Like I say, I'd never know what to expect. They're, they're, they're jumping off the charts, and that's just leading to even more wild draft scenarios and assumptions because people read way too much into this stuff. Like I say, let me remind you of John Ross, guys, if you're watching. Like, the 40 don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. What does matter is which college lies the most about the measurements on its athletes that is always the fun that's always the fun aspect of this who's three inches shorter than they're told they are etc it's all good fun obviously we went for the quarterback ones in a couple of days but um i digress we will be talking about the combine next week when it is all said and done we'll do our winners and losers from that etc but we have a very special show for you this week because before the combine it was all-star game season we talked about the senior bowl we talked about the shrine bowl the nfl nflpa collegiate bowl i think i got that one right but there is one more bowl at the end of the schedule a, a burgeoning bowl game which is only in its second year that is the historically black college or university legacy bowl so we did a show on this myself and ryan last year it was the first year that it took place but it's very hard for us over here in the UK to be able to get reliable information about a lot of the players and prospects over there. And we felt that in year one, we were not able to really give it the service that it should do because it highlights a lot of talent over there coming towards the NFL draft. So we thought in recognition of year two, the game was played last Saturday, that we were going to give you a much better show this season. And to do that, we're going to get some guests on with us who know all about HBCU football, its ins, its outs, the prospects, and we can give you a much more in-depth show today. So we have two guests with us, one returning and one new. The returning guest, you might remember, Carolina Panthers preview episode. Boy, how we as Lions fans did not know the premonition of what was going to happen to our season when that game happened. But, you know... Things happen for a reason. We're going to talk about that with him a little bit later on. Because not only did they ban Jacks our season, but now they're stealing all our coaching staff as well. But I digress. We'll get to that later. I'm going to announce my first guest here. I would say, guess who's back? Back again. Dave is back. But I read Dave's tweets and I know that Eminem is not on his holy grail of rappers out there. So I will not do him the disservice of that. Of course, I am talking about Dave from Panthers Nation <laughs> podcast. Dave, it's great to have you back on the show again. I hope you've been well since we last spoke to you. Yeah, man. Let me be clear. 
he was on my top ten. But if you keep making bad albums, you, you fall off the list. It works both ways, though. You make better albums, you climb on the list. Like Nas started climbing. You know, he had his little four-album run, you know, with King Diseases and the Magic. You, you climb, you climb. That's how it works. It's a, It's fluid. No, no, I know. I was just being those been Detroit fans and all. Just thought I had to pull up that little stick there, you know. No, that's so, fine, man. Wait, wait, Look, wait. and all I and, I, and all I'm gonna say is this: y'all didn't want us to take Ben Johnson. We didn't take Ben Johnson. What more do you want from me? Not taking all the other coaches would be a good start for us, <laughs> but again, <laughs> I digress. And thank you very much, by the way, for that stream you were doing last night. Listen to Fonte, you were streaming on your uh, rap albums, Dave likes streamed. I, t- I sort of had that on whilst I was watching the Combine, because I was fed up of the Combine guy oh, saying, yeah. this next guy's going to be really fast in the 40. This next guy's going to be... They're professional athletes. They're all going to be fast. Tell me something I don't know. So I had that playing on in the background whilst we were watching the Combine. So thank you very much for that there. And anyhow, I need to introduce our second guest of the evening. So through Dave, when we were talking on our last pod, um, we were talking about HBCU's football, actually. I think he mentioned the Celebration Bowl. It kind of crescendoed into a big conversation, and he pointed me in the direction of Twitpage by the name of HBCU Nightly. And our second guest is a big contributor to that show there. And let me tell you, if you want to learn anything about HBCU football, draft prospects, etc., please do go visit their page and listen to their live streams on Wednesday. I listen to them most weeks now. But we have one of the main guys on this evening who's going to give us all the benefit of his knowledge here. Thank We really, really do appreciate this, and we welcome Gerald Huggins to the panel. Yeah, how you doing, everybody? What's going on? We're doing, we're doing good. We're doing good, as I say. And I'm a Panthers fan, so this is that's why I'm yeah, so, Oh wow, you're both Panthers fans, <laughs> right? Okay, yeah, man. We 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 are evenly matched up here, Ryan. We're gonna we we gonna yeah, get into it's two all on that. two, man. <laughs> yeah, so. we, yeah. Oh dear. Right. Um, we're gonna dive straight into the show then. So as I say, we're gonna be talking all things HBCU football today because as well as being a Detroit Lions podcast, we are an NFL podcast over here for the guys over here in the UK. We do like to try and. You know, introduce as many aspects of the NFL and college football to our listeners over here as possible. So we're going to have a little chat about HBCU football in general first. Then we're going to have a look at the 2022 draft class. That is very relevant because the Lions drafted a player in 2022 and he happened to be pretty damn good. So we're going to have a chat there. Then we're going to talk about the HBCU Legacy Bowl and the Combine. The state's in its second year. Very exciting project going on there. And then we're going to finish off looking at the 20. 23 draft class so without further ado let's get down into things just before i start just want to um so both our guests here you are both graduates of hbcus which which schools did you both which which schools did you both go to you got it Gerald. all right i went to virginia union university for my undergraduate degree and then i went to clark atlanta university for my graduate degree and i went to north carolina a t state university for my bachelor's degree Excellent. And Gerald, you join us. You are also a scout for HBCU Draft over there. You tell us a little bit about what you do in regards in regards to that. Oh yeah, so uh, Draft HBCU, we um, we're a collective group of HBCU grads, and some that are HBCU grads, and we all have these different um, qualities that come together and make one really dynamic group. So we joke about it in meetings, but we're really think of us as like Wu Tang, and I know David loved that. So we're mm-hmm. together as a group, you know, we're still powerful, 
but we also have the ability to step out in our own lane and represent draft HBCU and also represent ourselves and be successful in that aspect. So we have photographers here, we have on-air personality, we have scouts, we have a little bit of everything. Um, and we highlight individuals and highlight the most pro-ready uh, HBCU players that we believe can make it to the next level. Um, it started with a, a young man from Morgan State named Malik Ovi and Tim Warner. And uh, I joined in 2021 after, you know, we just had mutual discussions over the, you know, over Twitter. And I just like, hey, I just want to help. And then it just sparked into this and it just became so big. We were able to work with uh, the Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame with the uh, defensive back. So they have this new um, award, the Nias Williams Award, that highlights the best HBCU FCS uh, defensive back. And we were blessed with the opportunity to assist with that. Uh, we worked with the Shrine Bowl this year as well, so that was a highlight. Uh, we were able to go to Celebration Bowl. Uh, we did the first HBCU Combine down in uh, uh, Alabama last year. Ooh, we've done a lot, um, but it's a blessing, and I, I can see the work is being the work is being done, and and it's it's, you know, it's benefiting a lot of guys. And, and you hear the feedback from players and coaches and some fans, and they're just like, "Man, keep doing what you're doing," and you know that just keeps us going. So we're 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 climbing we're small but we're powerful and i just can't wait to see what the future has as a whole for us absolutely and hopefully you, sorry going down if you watch if you watch the celebration bowl if you looked hard enough you would have saw gerald next to roger goodell <laughs> yes oh, wow. because yes a lot of people didn't realize that roger goodell has a nephew that played for jackson state sure does Oh, that's, that's incredible. Let's say so much. So Last much. name was Goodell and all. Didn't nobody realize? A lot of folks were like, really? And I'm like, yes, yeah, so you guys don't be out here paying attention to these streets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> well, I say, hopefully, as we go on during the show, you'll be able to tell us a bit more about all this. There's a lot to go down into. So, me and Rand are going to sort of take it in turns. We're going to take a section at a time. And, you know, anything you want to mention, as I say, Rye, just, just jump on in there. So, first, kind of just wanted to start it off with a little bit of an explanation for about HBCUs and the makeup of HBCU football for those who are not too familiar with it. So, I'll, I'll put the questions out there, Gerald, Dave, whichever one of you wants to answer, or if both of you do, go for it there. So... The first one may seem like a very simple question, but you know there is more depth to it there. So, so we know what the acronym HBCU stands for, historically black college or university, but if I was to ask you what is a HBCU sort of below that surface there, what the actual real crux of it is, what, what would you define it as? Uh, I like to keep my answer simple. It's a, it's a safe haven for an individual like me who may not have been you know, uh, the greatest, I didn't apply myself the best in high school, um, but uh, they gave me an opportunity to right my wrongs academically. They gave me an opportunity to grow. Uh, they made me feel like, <laughs> it's weird how to say it, it's like I didn't feel like I was in America for a little bit when I was in at an HBCU. What I mean by that is like, you know, we're the minority, but when you're, at a, when you're on an HBCU campus, it's like you're the majority, like you look around and you see people that look like you and you got doctors everywhere and it's like oh man that's inspirational for a young man like me to come from you know bedford Stuyvesant, brooklyn growing up in the 90s 2000s you know dave would know just by listening to the rap how interesting brooklyn was <laughs> during that era and mm -hmm. blessed to have two parents that went to hbcu my dad went to morgan state university he's a hall of fame linebacker there 
and my mom went to North Carolina Central. He actually met her. Now, this may sound weird. He met her her freshman her freshman year when he was a grad transfer to North Carolina Central. It was only four year difference. It sounds worse than it really was. It was only a four year difference. But yeah, he was a coach on a football team, and he met my mom, and she was. Four year. years is nothing back then, bro. Yeah, like, I know. <laughs> my parents was like seven year difference. Seven yeah, it was years. it was a seven. It was an eighties, you know, early eighties. You know, that's, that's yeah, just yeah, yeah. Seven, yeah. Four is minor details. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I just better make that clear if I put that put my parents out there like that. But um, yeah, HBCU was a safe haven for me. It's been a safe haven for a lot of people um, that look like me and Dave, and it's bred a lot of great human beings. You know, considering. The underfunding, considering what we had to go through during the civil rights movement, considering that we had HBCUs standing, whew, and like right in the heart of Jim Crow, and then they were still thriving. I mean, this is post Reconstruction, and we have HBCUs popping up everywhere, and and the fact that we were able, we're still standing for the most part. And then you have HBCUs that may have shut down, but then you have like a Morris Brown that's coming back up. You know, it just shows the resiliency of HBCUs and our and our all of our grads and all of our professors and my um, higher ups, our admin, our board of trustees. So for me, the simple and plain, uh, HBCUs is a haven, a safe haven for an individual like me that just needed another chance. And they gave me a chance to play football. I joined organizations, I made connections, and then I was able to go do my thing in uh, in corporate America and. And I could say I went to HBCU, so it just it just it's a, a sort of pride that comes with that safe haven as well. Excellent. So for me, to to piggyback, yeah, because I look, man, I wasn't a smart kid in high school, man. My grades were terrible. My grades were terrible. Like I, so and but I was fortunate to to have like um, uncles, aunts who went to HBCUs. Like my one of my aunts, she went to Benedict, which is right. I'm from Columbia, South Carolina. Um, so she went to Benedict College. Um, I had an uncle who went to Savannah State, ended up becoming an attorney. You know what I'm saying? So, and then also I had I had other family members who went to like Johnson C. Smith and a barrage of different HBCUs. So for me, and I've seen a lot of successful folks who went to HBCUs. But from the historical standpoint, you also got to remember there was a time where they wouldn't let us go to these other schools because they were discriminatory. But HBCUs never were. That was just the place where we could go. But we never said, oh, nah, you can't go. So like, look, man, in the, in the, in the 1900s, you could have come to our school and we'd have brought you in. You could have been family with us. You might have had a, it might have been, been intimidating for some folks because it would have been 95% black at the time. It's not like that anymore for some of them, but you know, but overall, we never were discriminatory when it comes to those type of things. We were always welcome to everybody. But that was like you said, like, like Gerald said, it was our safe haven. And we, we, we graduate more African American engineers than, any other school and then pretty much any college like i think my alma mater the top 10 universities in the united states ant has more african-americans students than all top 10 uh colleges combined so it's just we produce great people who do phenomenal things in society and across the board judges lawyers doctors engineers Vice presidents, <laughs> like, like we covered a gauntlet when it comes to that. So for me, it was about, it was just for me, it was like, it was a no brainer. And it's funny because now I live in the Northeast because I live in Rhode Island. There's no HBCUs up here. So my daughter, she's like, 
trying to figure out what she's about to do. She's in high school right now. And I'm like, well, you can either find a school up here or you can play the odds and go down south and head to an HBCU. And it'll be cheaper on the wallet, too. <laughs> Much cheaper on the wallet. <laughs> Much cheaper on the wallet. So, um... Oh, sorry, go on, Dave. No, no, I got it. You got it. Because Gerald covered pretty much the gauntlet of it. Like, she, he pretty much covered the, the, the portion of it. Oh, I but see. I think it's just a lot of... a lot. There's a lot of history there, too. You know, there's just... just there's, like, a lot of history there, a lot of culture there, and it's pretty much family. You're not a number there. And that's the key. Yeah, that's the key for me. So, when it comes... Um, in regards to HBCU football, because everyone knows it's part of part of the FCS, but obviously one of the lesser explored areas of it so far. Can you sort of break down the HBCU football scene for me? So I believe there's five football conferences all together, but you just sort of go through that a little bit, explain to people how it works. Ooh, okay, so let's see. Well, I, mm-hmm. I'm going <laughs> to throw a little slight jab at my brother Dave because he knows how I feel about yeah. his whole model not being in a <clears throat> this one conference right now, but I'm still, so the thing, we have HBCUs that don't play in HBCU conferences, but we still support them regardless. Like, regardless of how I feel about them not being in the MEAC, which is a, a conference that consists of mainly uh, schools on the uh, on the East Coast, so you have like a Maryland Eastern Shore who only has basketball, you have a Morgan State, Norfolk State, Delaware State, we have Bethune Cookman. We have Florida A Florida and M University, but they end up going to a school named uh, I'm sorry, to a conference called the SWAC, uh, the Southwestern Athletic Conference. So they have they have all the teams. So you got you know you heard of Grambling State with Eric Robinson, and then you have uh, let's see where do we go? We got Grambling State, got Alabama State, got Alabama A and M, we got Southern, Ooh, got Texas Southern, we got Prairie View A and M. So yes, they have twelve. I believe Miac has. Six, uh, out Six football, 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 and then it's eight when you combine basketball and when you do basketball. Now we go to baseball. That's a whole other thing. We only have like three teams, but uh, for football purposes, we do have six, and that's Miac. And then we have uh, North Carolina and Hampton. They were in the Big South at one point. Now they fully transitioned into the CAA. Um, so, and then we also have Tennessee State, who uh, is an Ohio Valley Conference. They've been there for since. A- Thirty-five years. Yes, thirty-five years, bro. They've been there for a long time, and just put that out there. No one ever, you know, looked at them. So me, I was talking between me and Dave. No one ever looked at them sideways for being in the OVC for the most part. Everybody was really like, okay, that's Tennessee State. We'll let them do their thing. For some people, they want all HBCU conferences. I'll tell. This is the way I tell. This is the way I always explain to the folks whenever they get critical about us needing these conferences. I always say this: as long as my band slaps. We're good. The band <laughs> just has to slap. The band must continue to slap. Bluebo yeah. Marshall Machine still slaps. Anita Baker, we treated the performance the other week. It still slaps. Yeah, so that's all that matters. Yeah, Go check it out. Google Google Bluebo Marshall Machine, Anita Baker medley. It still slaps. Yeah, that's all yeah, it has yeah. to do. We do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're not my favorite, but they do have a good band. My favorite, you know. And Tennessee State just won a Grammy. They still slaps. Yeah, they do. They so do. long as they slap. So it was. I can't speak for Hampton. I can't speak for Hampton. I'm not gonna do it about Hampton. All right, I can't. I can't do it about Hampton. Long as your band slaps, that's all that matters. Long and, that's band F- slaps. and that's FCS. So we also have two more conferences uh, for and on the NCAA level. Uh, CIAA, that's mine. 
Uh, that's where we have Virginia State, Virginia Union. Uh, a lot of actually a lot of teams that are currently in the MEAC started off in the CIAA. Um, and I'm, he's being and he's being critical for A&T leaving. Like the MEAC was created by freaking going after all the CIAA schools. The <laughs> I I'm going. I always let it known that I believe CIAA is the best ran HBCU conference, one of the best ran. So I mean, we like we're legit. And then you have the SEAC, who has like Benedict College. Uh, then you have um, oh my God, uh, Ken Allen Tuskegee. Benedict College, Benedict College, Allen Tuskegee State. University. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you have so you got yeah. Savannah State is in the SEAC. Mm-hmm. They used to be in the MEAC too, and then they, well, there's a reason why. Yeah. They we, we we can talk we, may, if you want to get into the history about why the MEAC only has six football teams. We can oh, dig down into that, but you know. So I I, 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 I learned very I learned very quickly that the rivalries are really strong there, but in oh, the yeah. best oh, in the best God. in the best of spirits, <laughs> but they are really strong. <laughs> For sure. I mean, I'm oh, yeah. if, you watch, if you watch one episode of HBCU Nightly, as soon as me, between me, Josh, yeah. Mr. N- you know real fast. Yeah. No, he, he didn't even want to call my school by name, man. So I'll at least it's... call him Central occasionally. So. See, I'm trying to think of like what a cut, what a comparison. Um, I'm very, I'm not really, I play FIFA, but I don't really, I'm not really the big soccer guy. I'm trying to become, I'm trying to think of a comparison for y'all. Whoever, whoever hates Manchester. Manchester City, think of that as North Carolina Central versus North Carolina AT. Whoever hates them that much, it's like that. That's that's the only comparison. Or you you know about but you know about North Carolina, you know about um North Carolina and Duke. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's they, pretty much what it is. Or Michigan, Ohio State. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. us. No, yeah. Or Alabama Auburn. That's us. <laughs> that is us. Yeah. That's no. us. Yeah, we 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 understand. I think think it's it's yeah. <laughs> It, it's a bit. It's a big rivalry, but on the friendly. Forty-five but, minutes away, like we're forty-five <laughs> minutes in between each other. That's us. So another one of the differences. So with the HBCU football conferences, you have and you've mentioned it, the celebration bowl at the end of the season. So that is the bowl game participated in between the two best teams. Is it the Miak and the Swack winners who can who take part in that? But you have this at the expense. Of the FCS playoffs, if my if my mm-hmm. uh, understanding of the situation is right, so mm-hmm. tell us a little bit more about the celebration bowl. And, and the other question I kind of have with it is, do you prefer the HBCU football to have the celebration bowl as opposed to going into the FCS playoffs, which seem to be do getting a little bit more eyes on them in recent years? I know Ryan watches them over here as well, and and whatnot. So, and he, I- I'll take this because I, I know you'll love this answer, Gerald. No, please do. I actually prefer, I, 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 I actually prefer the Celebration Bowl because I love the event that comes behind the Celebration Bowl. And I think the other thing, the other factor that you have to take into account, too, is it's money for the universities. To go into the FCS playoffs, it's a lose. It's a it's a it's a zero sum game for the schools. If you keep winning, the schools lose money. The NCAA takes 70 percent of the money of the ticket sales. You have to put you have to place a bid to get a home game into the playoffs when you go into the NCAA play into the FCS playoffs. They treat the like it's not like the bowl games of the FBS playoffs. Like you know how you do the FBS playoffs with the, the um the fourteen playoff that they're doing it about to expand it to twelve teams or whatever and how they get millions of dollars. FCS playoffs ain't like that. It's, they treat the FCS playoffs like they treat the track and field championships. The the uh, 
the lacrosse championships, the soccer championships, and the NCAA. They're, they're, they're treated as non-revenue in essence. Now, there are some teams within the FCS that do make a killing. North Dakota State is one of them. But the reason why they make a killing is because of where they're at and they get the support of their area. The businesses gives back. That new facility they just created that cost them $50 million, it was privately funded by the businesses there. And they're, and they're a machine. That's what they are. Can't do that at A&T, right? A&T's got all these other football programs around them. Like, we got to compete with all these other schools around them for the same set of talent. Well, North Dakota, they're like, they're like on an island by themselves. They ain't got too many schools to compete with to get the talent, to get the, get the offensive linemen, to get all the players that they want. And they just got a system in place. And they can just do what they want to do. And they got businesses that are there to support it. So when they do make the playoffs, they want that business. Because it, it stimulates that economy for Fargo, so it's a little bit. So it all depends on the location. That's why when people keep asking, why don't they go FBS? Why should they? They are making a killing, and then they can just get some teams, some sucker FBS teams to come in, and they'll go to Arizona and they'll beat their ass, or they'll go to some random team around there and they'll beat their behind, and then just, you know, they almost got ranked in the top twenty-five a few years ago. So we know they're one of the best college football teams. Nah. So they did the A&T this year. If you watch the game, offensive line held it down with nothing else. No, that, that, tooting, tooting. <laughs> that was it. No, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, I heard you guys discuss it on the space the other day about the possibility of expanding that celebration ball tournament. I believe to have like rounds beforehand to earn the way that was. If I was hearing rightly, is this something that you would like to see, or, or would you like to keep it in its current format of just one game? I'd like to see it expand, but it's just like, how do we do that? Now that like, okay, for the most part, I'll just, <laughs> I'll just say, of course, I want to see A and T and Hampton. Like, I want to see, I wanted to see A and T play against one of the top, you know, HBC. Like, I wanted to see them play against Jackson. Like, you know, we saw them go against uh, North Carolina Central, and we, sorry, Dave, but we saw how that that outcome was. I mean, they they it didn't work out. It didn't they, work out. Maybe it's Richard, who I would need y'all to, I want y'all to remember this name. Until he gets drafted next year, Davius Richard, Davius Richard, Davius Richard from North Carolina Central. He's the man, quarterback. He's legit. QB one, QB one. Literally, when you see dual threat, he's like a dual threat. But like when there's dictionary dual threat, Davius Richard's gonna be right there. So just want to put that out there. Um, but yeah, you would like to see a fourteen playoff. Like okay, but how do you do it? Do you do four teams as four HBCU conferences, or do you do who they believe the four best HBCU teams are on the FCS level? Now, it's A&T. If they win the CAA, are they going to say no to the to the, uh, the playoffs to play in the Celebration Bowl playoffs? They may have an answer for that. I don't think A&T is going to do it, but they may. You know, because like Dave said, it costs money. And then at the end of the day, Let's be real. HBCUs are not unless they literally have a, a FBS filled schedule and they go undefeated. They're not getting a home playoff game, so they're probably going to go all the way out to the middle of nowhere, probably somewhere really cold, and they don't. They're not going to have any heaters on the sideline, and we're going to be struggling. <laughs> well, you know <laughs> like, the funny. You know what the funny thing is, Gerald? Because we almost made the playoffs this year. Like if we would have beat Garner Webb in the final game of the season, we would have made the playoffs. And so people were like, "Hey, are you guys going to put a bid in for a playoff spot?" And I was like, and 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 the way that the FCS playoffs work right now is gonna is they pick the teams based on geography, mm-hmm. so it's geographical based. 
So I was like, no, why should we put a bid? And the reason why I said that was because Elon's right there. Elon's probably going to put a bid. Elon's 15 minutes away from the campus. We'll just take over Elon and beat them behind. I ain't worried about that. (laughs) But we ended up losing the game anyway, but that's beside the point. My point was there was no point to put a bid in for that because it was a a zero-sum game for us. But, you know, but the thing is, I don't know, like if we won the if we win the CAA, which we're not going to do in the first year, I'm going to keep it apart. We might have a shot to fight for a playoff spot because CAA sent five teams last year, so maybe we'll see. You know, I like our new head coach. So, um, but if we get a play, if we if we get a if we won the CAA, I think they're going to go to the playoffs because yeah. at that point we're going to have a bye. If we win the CAA, we're getting a bye. Like we ain't going to have to play in the first round. <laughs> yeah, they're like a that, top three conference in FCS. yeah, they're a top three conference in FCS. So we're getting a buy if we win that if we win that conference. So yeah. it just it just it, I, I would love to see a 14 playoff. And I and I asked the question to John Grant on our previous HBCU speeches a few months ago. And the answer he gave me was he said, right now we're gonna stick to two teams because it doesn't because that's what the contract says. The contract says two teams. The MIAC that's why it's pivotal that the MIAC has to survive. Because yes. you gotta have a MIAC champion and you gotta have a swag champion. That's what the contract says. Contract yeah. you gotta have a MIA champion and a SWAT champion. Yeah. Those two teams play, and they get way more money than most of those teams in the FCS playoffs get. Way more money. Yeah, way so more money. Yeah, so it works for them to have it that way. Um, mm-hmm. Right. I'm sorry. I don't mean to annoy you so far. Is there anything you want to ask in regards to what we've spoke about so far, or? No, I, I'm enjoying listening to to This <laughs> is fascinating. Well, I. It, I I'm like the guy, like the FCS guy, like I say, I, I watch their playoffs, I, I do a lot of that, so I kind of know about that scene and I really enjoy that, and I see some of these smaller schools as well, like I said, we did mock drafts throughout the season, so throughout this season I've been watching uh, Judakis Bonds, I've watched some of his highlights, some of his film, mm-hmm. like I say, I, I, he's quite an interesting small school guy, like I say, like a, a Project X receiver, so yeah, I, I really like the scene, I like small schools. Like say Elon's, your Furman's, your Fordham's. Like I don't care for the South Dakotas and North Dakotas. I like the smaller schools. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll move on to some of the prospects in a little moment here. I'll finish off this opening bit. We mentioned the celebration ball. You mentioned the game just gone. So North Carolina A and T. I actually, me and Ryan do a bowl prediction thing at the end of the season. I actually went in on North Carolina A and T on this one, and they shot. Oh, right. They. Uh, so North Carolina Central, I'm sorry. North Carolina Central. North Carolina Central. Central, sorry. Um, apologies on me. I'm just trying to remember all this. So Carolina Central, but I went in on those. Yeah, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. The the, the, the AD did the same thing in the presser. Yeah, so don't feel bad. <laughs> That's probably... Yeah, the AD of Jackson State did the same thing in the presser. Don't fret. Because I knew Trey Oliver was going to get on his neck. I was like, oh, Trey's going to... Because Trey Oliver, even though he's a Central grad, he coached at A&T. When A&T won the first Celebration Bowl, he was a he was an assistant coach for A&T for their first Celebration Bowl. So I, I promise. So I was like, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I promise I will not make that mistake again. I've written my notes wrong here, but anyhow. So the Celebration Bowl this year, North Carolina Central, Jackson State. See everything with Deion Sanders, Jackson State, the juggernaut this year. Everyone was looking and focusing on them, and that's why I kind of went with North Carolina. I thought, you know, people are looking past them; they're not really taking them seriously, and. In what was an incredibly good game in front of, I believe, nearly 50,000 people who turned up for it. I mean, 
it was a topsy-turvy game back to fourth. Uh, North Carolina Central came out on top in the end. A terrific game, but what did you two guys make of it for the Celebration Bowl? What, what, what did you think of the game? How did it go down? I mean, I knew that North Carolina Central was going to win because the tape, the tape just told you that they may have better athletes on Jackson State's team last uh, this past season. But scheme is a scheme is a beautiful thing. When you have so schematically, if I'm playing a team that I know has defensive linemen that like their pass rush every single play, I'm going to run counter. I'm going to run trap. And I'm going to run power. And all they did was just fly. They flew up the field and they run right under them. And now that you have an extra blocker, because oh wait, I could run with my. Oh, by the way, I don't think Davis Rich is two hundred fifteen pounds. That might have been his freshman year. He's not two hundred fifteen pounds. He's not two thirty. He's not two thirty. He has to be. There's no way. There's no way. Like there's no way. There's no way. They had Shaq Davis listed at one eighty five. Like he comes to his. He comes to the Shrine Bowl at two. At two, uh, what was it, two seventeen, almost two hundred twenty-five. So just put that out there. When you're looking at the weight and height, at not just HBCU but college in general, don't just take that with a grain of salt. They lie. <laughs> but I don't see what making Davis Richard smaller does. But he's at least two hundred thirty pounds, still right next to him. The kid's huge. So now you have him running. I mean, Aubrey Miller was fighting for his life because the line, the linemen were flying up the field. So naturally, the offensive linemen, they're taught to climb second level. And if you're just going to fly up the field, we're just going to nudge you off. And we're going to work up to Aubrey Miller. Now we got Robin Mitchell and Corey Bullock on on, on poor Aubrey Miller right in the middle of the defense. And then he's not getting much help. And then the running backs, they – granted, Central running backs were good. I that What I saw on the celebration, I was like, whoa, they literally had a chip on their show. They came out like, listen, we're not trying to juke any of y'all. We're running through your face. Like, we're, we're stiff on to the ground. We're going to run behind our pads. We're going to leg drive. The offensive linemen were pushing it. We're cleaning the pile, pushing the pile. I mean, but that's the – so since you're learning about the HBCU uh, the uh, landscape, the MEAC naturally – Swag people might disagree, but we we just it's a tougher thing. It's just like a we have big, physical. nasty offensive linemen that are just physical, and they just hit, they just hit, they just hit, and they play more power five opponents. So for the most part, they're battle tested by the time they get to play a swag team in the end of the year. And I'm not saying the swag is not as no, they're not as battle tested. Just because they're not as battle tested. However, there's a few schools there are. That are I'm not gonna I'm not like Alcorn. Alcorn, Alcorn is, yeah, yeah, will play anybody, anywhere, anytime. Jackson Hard. doesn't. Jackson <laughs> does not. They don't. So, so for me, like he's watching the film. He loves. He likes breaking down the film. That's why I said, "Yo, we got to get Gerald on here for this for you guys." But for me, I just watch these games. <laughs> I was at the Duke's Mayo Classic when A&T played Central. Yeah. I was there. I was at the game. I saw Davis Richard live. The kid's legit. He was legit. Good quarterback. And I didn't think we were that bad. We had a rough day at the office. I knew offensive line was good. The kid's legit. Straight up. No question. But he really won me when he took his behind up to New Hampshire. Yeah, man. And dominated them boys. Did. Dominated them boys. You're ranked. When he took them boys, when he took when he when he went up to New Hampshire and dominated them boys. And that team ended up getting a share of the CAA title. Yeah. When he went up there and dominated them boys, that's when I know. I was like, yeah, Jackson. 
if if Central's sitting there with the MIAC championship and they go to the Celebration Bowl, Jackson ain't beating them dudes. And that's yeah. when I knew. I felt that way the entire time. That I wasn't was a, worried even after they lost to Campbell and SC State. Was not worried at all. Was no, not concerned. But that's a scheme. Was thing. not concerned. The scheme was just perfect for for Central. It, they literally that's that's what they did all year. It may have been different versus different, but that's what they did. I mean, ideally, yeah, Davis Richards is not going to be a 400-yard passing quarterback, but that's okay because no. now you're going to get 200 rushing, 200 passing. It's, it equals out to me. So, I mean, he that's I, I love that about his game. His offensive line was legit. Corey Bullock, the left tackle, he's probably going to kick in the guard until he transferred up to uh, University of Maryland. He went back home. Uh, then they have uh, Mookie, Mookie the running back. And then they had uh, their receivers on the outside, which I was I was pretty – their receivers, you know, did better than I thought they would do, to be honest with you, the Jackson State DBs, because that was the cream of the crop of their team. They had a really good back end. But what exposed the back end was their – the tackling. I mean, I, I get on tackling so much when it comes to defensive backs because the way the league is now, these quarterbacks are not going to do, do a lot of five, seven, seven drops because the defensive linemen are just – Pretty much, you got a bunch of DK Metcalf lined up at edge rushing. Now. I mean, and the crazy part is, they're more athletic than him. So you asking a six foot six, three hundred and thirty pound human being to move backwards faster than he's running forward, and you want my quarterback to do? Because we're Panthers fans, so we know Carolina was once was one of two things: you gonna either run the ball or we doing a deep shot. When they were good, that's what they did. And everybody knew it. So when it came down to it, you had like a Von Miller. I was like, okay, something about the Super Bowl didn't feel right. So I'm like, we got Von Miller and we have DeMarcus Will on his last leg. But for some reason, I feel like he's going to do everything in his power to just destroy us. And that's exactly what happened. The, the route combination was too deep. You know, Girl, it was, there was only there was there was one player that told me that we were going to lose that Super Bowl. You want to know his name? Mike Tober. Mike. Mike Rimmers. Oh, oh, well, well, because he was, mm. you know, he still plays in the NFL after that game. Well, well, I picked the Chiefs. I picked the Chiefs to beat the Bucks in that Super Bowl. And then I looked at the starting lineup. And then I Your saw right tackle was Mike, Mike Rimmers. And I said, so much for that pick. I'm going to lose this. The Bucks are going to win this game. Yeah. It's, it's, so all in all, the scheme, just not saying Jackson was a bad team, but their scheme just, just didn't bolt well against North Carolina Central scheme because it just it, it wore them down. I mean, yeah, they had a shot to win it too. That's the crazy part. But my biggest thing is if you're depending on a guy that may have that he had less than ten targets in a whole year to win you again, that's I'm not I have Dallas Daniels on the football field. I have Shane Hooks on the football field. I have Sivion Wilkinson, who they poach from Delaware State, and they also poached another great player from Delaware State to go to Jackson. But you you have these guys, and you want to give it to someone that don't have ten targets on the year. What do you expect? It was the moment was. I felt bad for the kid a little bit. I'm like the moment was too big for him, and everybody. I'm like, what did you expect? He how many times he caught the ball all year? So, end of the day, North Carolina Central's defense wasn't. No one said that their defense was going to win them a championship. No. So that made Davis Richard even more impressive. He knew I had to score three, four touchdowns to win this game, and he knew it. I call. I, I said it on HBCU nightly when they was like, "What type of game you expect this game to be?" And I said, "A shootout." Central going to win in a shootout, and everybody thought I was crazy. And I was like, "It's going to be a shootout, guys." Yeah. And I was like, "Y'all going to say it's one of the best ones we've ever had? Maybe the best one." Yeah, that but, that might have been. It's up there. 
Yeah, the, I mean the A and A and T has some good ones though. The Tariq Cohen. They did. Was, I, mean, <laughs> I was there for the Tariq Cohen show. I went to the first one. I was there for that one, man. And I know Woo! y'all y'all Lions fans, so y'all know uh, Tariq Cohen. You know he when he was when he was there when he was healthy and he was he had a little giddy up on him. He was a terror, man. Mm-hmm. I, I, I we're all rooting for him to come back strong. Everybody, we really want yeah. him to come back. Strong. He's a good person and good player. So oh. just want to come. Well, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. So we've had a little discussion about HBCU football, the way it's broken down, and a little bit about this season. But I'll pass it on to Ryan now, and we're going to talk a little bit, maybe, about the 2022 HBCU draft class because it was a pretty big one for the scene there. So Ryan, I'll uh, I'll pass it over to you. Yeah. So twenty twenty two, four players uh, from HBCU drafted. Only one combined in 2020 and 2021. So last year, you had uh, Jatiah uh, Carter from Southern, the offensive tackle, that went to Chicago Bears at pick 226. Their offensive line was was bad last year, but he managed to work his way into rotation. Uh, we had then uh, our very own James Houston, linebacker from Jackson State, uh, came to Detroit at like pick 217, who would finish second in uh, sacks for edge players, despite not making the team early in the season, then getting brought back through the process, working his way into rotation. Uh, SC State uh, cornerback Dakota Durant went to the Rams at pick 142. Did finish the season with a few interceptions. I, I saw that kid. Like, say, he looks good. And then the highest player taken, the super athletic cornerback Josh Williams from Fayetteville State that was at 135 to the Kansas City Chiefs and would actually go on to be a contributor on defense as well, special teams then. The kid won a ring in his first season, so a really good class. And also, free safety, athletic, Marquise Bell, Florida A&M, went undrafted, uh, Universal. Uh, he got that uh, defensive line, Deshaun Dixon from Norfolk State. That's very versatile, so a host of other players went on uh, UDFAs as well. I'd say, as you two guys, everyone, how, how good does it feel to take pride in having such a good class come out this year and uh, perform in the NFL? Man, um, <clears throat> we scouted these guys all for well, for most of their careers. We'll say I scouted. Let's see, I scouted the Kobe Durant for about a good two years. Uh, let's see, Deshaun Dixon about two years, Marquise Bell about two. Yeah, pretty much everybody at least two years, except for James because he came in uh, from Florida. Uh, he transferred in, but for me, the you know our goal is to. You know, we want to promote these guys and want them to get drafted. So for me, man, to see the guys that we got drafted and see what they did, their rookie, what James Houston did, I I, <clears throat> I need people oh to God, really really get a grasp of like that's not normal. normal. It doesn't just happen. <laughs> you don't you don't just get cut practice squad, then you're pretty much leading and tackle and, and sacks per game your rookie year. Oh, by the way, you don't play till the second half of the season. So Thanksgiving, right? Was his first yeah, game? Yeah. And he sacks Josh Allen. <laughs> That's his first on, sack. On a double team. Josh Allen. On a double team. Took the tight end and the tackle. But my thing is, we saw the Ben. But he got even he his Ben grew. It got even better. I mean, this man is literally running parallel to the floor and getting sacks. But that's what you want to see. Like when I look at defensive linemen, I look at their ankle flexibility mostly. Ankle flexibility and hip fluidity. Those two things are so important. 
Oh, and let me put number three out there that people don't like to talk about. Shoulder torque. That's my favorite. When I train kids, I say torque your shoulders. So when you turn your shoulders that way, your body's going to go that way. So what he does at the top of his rush, he does a really good job of turning that shoulder, dropping that weight, dropping his hips, and putting his weight on the outside part of his ankle. He's able to bend, and it's just it's flawless. I mean, I haven't seen a bend like that in a while. I didn't think – I mean, we saw it in college, but it was not like that. And – his long arm. He was six feet. I think he's six foot. About to give him six foot even, six one. But he has like an eighty-one inch reach. That's so. When you have a shorter guy, it's like okay, <clears throat> he's shorter, but he could lock out against offensive linemen who may have. I mean, the average offensive tackle is reached probably about 80, 81 ish. So they now he could lock out with what you know as good as he wants, as far as he wants, and he has control. And then he's quick, lightning quick. Oh. Let's throw this out here. He plays off-ball backer as well. So you have the it's – it's a trend coming on. You see this Micah Parsons. They, they really want to find that linebacker, off-ball backer. They could throw on a line of scrimmage for pass rushing too. It's becoming a thing. It's becoming a real nice trend. I like the trend too. It's going to bode well for some of the guys that we have coming after him. Um, and then you have like a Deshaun Dixon who's a true – like. He went to HBC throughout. You know, James Houston transferred in. Uh, Marquise Bell transferred in. Uh, but, you know, you got like the Kobe Durant, Deshaun Dixon, guys that literally went through the whole career of the HBCU landscape, the HBCU struggle that only people that can go there can understand. And they made it the raw talent there. Like you saw him at the Shrine Bowl. Deshaun Dixon is just, he has a want to and he has a motor that it's like, okay, you might get him initially, but. If you don't finish, you're not going to beat this man on a one-on-one. You're not going to beat him in the like he does a really solid job even at six-five to get low to defeat double teams. Very violent hands. His bend might not be like uh, um, like James Houston and other edge rushes, but he does have solid bend. But he does have violent shoulders, so he is able to bend the corner just due to his violent nature from his upper half. Um, Josh Williams, <laughs> six-three corner with twitch. I mean, who doesn't want that? Sorry, that's you're going to get picked. I mean, he had to have known after his combine and people like his, his forty was like a four or five. Not worried about that because you go through the drills and you saw him at the senior bowl. He's twitchy. He's moving like he's able to break quickly on the ball. He's staying in phase. He's not guessing. He's actually really good in zone coverage as well. So you have a guy that's long like a Sherman, but he's like, I mean, well, he's a little quicker than Sherman when it comes to your lateral movement. So now you have a guy that's really covering a lot of space out there. And, you know, Kansas City like to do a lot of zone blitzing schemes, too. It fit perfectly. And then you have the Kobe Durant, little guy. But they call him Landshark. <laughs> he plays like it. He is – he's – he likes to hit. When he played against Clemson, he showed off the ball skills. He showed the ability to, like, listen, I could go against somebody six foot four, six foot five, and I could stay with him. And then I could jump with him and be able to take the ball away from him. And then you, it translated into the next level. He's a ball. I mean, I think he had, what, three interceptions? I think he was, like, top five out of rookies in interceptions. He only played about <laughs> – he didn't play many games, to say that much. He didn't have nearly as many snaps as other rookies. And he's top five in, 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 um, in, um, in interceptions. And I think – it's funny. He might be – he's top 15 out of rookies with sacks, with one. But, you know, I don't know what that means. The rookie class not really getting a lot of sacks, but they get a lot of pressures. That's a whole other thing. So – and then Marquise Bell is going to be a player for the Dallas Cowboys. I wish they would play him more because, I mean, I'm not very sold on Dallas Cowboys back in, per se. I mean, you could work him in there, but he was a special teams guy. You know, that's fine. 
And that's what I like about we're going to talk about, you know, 23 prospect guys and some guys on this list that look really good on special teams. And that's probably what's going to get them drafted. And, exactly you know, yeah, man, it's, it's huge. Like that special teams acumen, like if you have that on top of you being a top FCS talent, then of course you're going to get a look. So, you know, so we'll transition to that later. The story of Tariq Cohen and, and the big story about Tariq Cohen and why he got drafted. As much as electric as he was all season for ANT throughout his career there, including that game he had the Celebration Bowl, you know what the NFL scouts wanted to see? Whether or not he could return punts and kicks. Mm-hmm. When the NFL scouts showed up for an ANT game, they asked him, Can he return punts? And it was like it was like, Of course he can. They told him to go out for the punt team, took it for a touchdown. And that was it. They said, all right, that's all we need to see. And the Bears yep. took them. So, like, you just – what people have to understand is you can't – you have to be – when you're coming from a smaller school, and I don't mean to say this in any way, but you can't just be – you can't be an honorable mention, MEAC guy, SWAT guy. Sad to say, but that's just what it is. If you're an FCS guy, honorable mention is not going to cut it. You have to be the best at what you do on your team, in your conference, and in the country. Because I always and, say, mm-hmm. and those games where we're out here playing your Clemson's, your ECU's, your 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 Dukes, your, your these big Power Five schools, you got to show out in those games. Because those are the those are the type of games where they see you. They'll say, "Well, you're playing actual competition now," and you showed out. The Kobe Durant got three interceptions against Clemson. The scouts saw that. Got South Carolina State got demolished. Against Clemson, but they saw that the Kobe Durant got three interceptions against Clemson. They were like, "Oh, we need to see what this kid can do." So, that's... so from anyone we've mentioned or not mentioned that didn't really jump or get their chance in the first round, who do you think next year, like in their sophomore year, could make the biggest jump of anyone else in the class that was drafted last year, or is a UDFA? Well, um, I'm, I mean, I James Houston, if you if you start him. Well, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I gotta put some. Up. You know, I read an article and it said why James Houston wasn't wasn't uh, getting playing time. And then the coach, the D line coach, I'm I'm pretty sure that he just said that he was uh, everybody was healthy. So I said, okay, you telling me that he wasn't doing this in practice at all, and y'all didn't say, okay, maybe we should get this guy a shot before Thanksgiving. You know, for me, that's why I was a little confused. But I mean, but. James is one of those guys, he's a tweener between off-ball and edge, so it's like, okay, does he start at linebacker for uh, for the Lions? Maybe. They have a pretty solid linebacker core. Edge rusher-wise, they're young, they're fast, but as you can see, he's the best pass rusher you have, so why not give him a shot? And he's shown the ability to cover. So I don't think, I mean, yeah, Aiden Hutchinson, has, he had more interceptions than I could imagine he's going to get. Solid year of film oh. to go off of and being a tweener as it is. I think the cleaner does scare some schools. I honestly don't know why he fell that far. Um, be honest with you, but I know that there's a there's a GM that was <laughs> that he's looking at it like he looked at it as like a genius because he was able to get him. So, in the so hold on a second, yeah. Andy. You might have it's to because he was able to get him. So hold on a second, Andy. You might have because he was able to get him. Oh, I'm gone. So, hold on a second. Sorry. Um, I apologize. My internet went very briefly. Oh, 
Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Been... You got. That's why he disappeared. So I want to make sure you're good. I, we... I think you're back. I... Let me just check. I'm still good on YouTube. My my sincerest apologies, guys. I uh, the weather's been really bad around here. So, so hold on a second, yeah. Andy. You might. No, we're back. You're sorry. back. You're back. Yeah, you're good. I'm checking, I really... I'm checking right now. Yeah, you're back. I'm really sorry, guys. The weather's been rough around here, and it's it been happens, playing dude. with look, my. Look, look, bro. When PNP when PNP started, Rashad was in a hotel in, in Manassas, Virginia. Yeah. I was at my crib. Yes. There was one time where the thunderstorm took 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 his took his power out, <laughs> and he was running the stream. It happens, bro. It's a part of the game. When you that's what the, I'm allowed saying it happens. Yeah, that I'll uh, I'll keep that up there. Right. So um, I think we got to the point we were just. Um, I think Ryan had just asked about who the next guy who might break out next season. Which we'll quickly pick it up yeah. from there again, and we'll we'll start it over so everyone gets it. We we said what, it was Durant, right? Durant. Oh yeah, Durant because uh, Jalen Ramsey is going to be departing. Uh, according Dave said he's gone, so I'm like, okay, well. Yeah, he's that. gone, bro. Because they're yeah. not going to pay that man. Either he's going to get traded or he's going to get released. Okay. They're not going to pay him. I mean, they're not going to pay him. Durant has a so, legit, you know. I, I would love for Houston. I would love for Houston. To get a, a legit shot too, I just don't. I don't. I don't know where the lines are going to put him. Are you going to make him a full time five technique, or are you going to move him to backer, or are you going to just treat him like you did last year? I mean, I mean, sadly to say, but James, he can. He, I know he doesn't want to, but he literally could play thirty percent of snaps and still have that type type of production because that's just the kind of player he is. But is that what he wants to do full time? Uh, full time? Does he want to just be a well, not full time. He want to just be a part time edge rusher. I don't think that's not his act. That's not his uh, aspiration. So, I I want to see what the Lions do for him. I when I, he came out, I thought James would be a better three four, you know, stand up outside linebacker. That's what I wanted him to be because you know he has that coverage. That's what I wanted him. To be. Obviously, he has the bend to be able to rush. Um, and I'm hoping that the six foot didn't bother any him being six foot tall didn't bother anybody because like I said earlier, he has really long arms, so he's still able to control control his gap. I mean, he probably has to get a little stronger, which I'm sure he's doing because he's in the NFL now, so he's getting stronger. He knows that. So he can be able to press back these uh, these big offensive tackles. But, you know, the biggest thing for him is probably run support. You know, uh, but when you some teams will live with a guy that can't stop the run as well, as long as we know on third and ten, he's going to get the sack, and that seems to be the mark of the James right now. But he's not a bad run defender. He's just a better pass rusher. So um, he has the ability and the capability and the, all the intangibles in the world to be a very, very solid run defender. So it's all possible. So between Durant and Houston, one of those two are going to make a huge leap. I mean, I, if Houston gets 10-plus sacks next year, we're talking Pro Bowl, sophomore year, six-round pick. Out of he should have, real talk, he should have gotten consideration for rookie of the year. I, don't care I agree. I mean, he should have got consideration. I don't, I don't understand. Like, I, the fact – I saw Brock Purdy get consideration for Offensive Rookie of the Year, yeah. and this man did not get consideration for what he did yeah. and how he did it, and how he did it in like a month and a half's time. Yeah, mm. and who he sacked. I mean, he's, yeah. <laughs> he sacked Yo. some really good quarterbacks, and he went against these weren't scrub offensive tackles. He was going. He had a really they, the Lions had a really good schedule towards the end of the season, so. He was going against legit, legit star. Not maybe not star, but for the most part, but he had legit offensive tackles that were going. He was going against, and he was beating them on a consistent basis on little, on uh, little to no reps. 
No, absolutely. It should be interesting to see as well that uh, the Lions have brought come to terms with the old Penn State defensive line coach as well, supposed to be coming in, that helps with Micah Parsons. So that could be a really good fit for him, potentially, as a tweener. That, that might be a good sign for James. That's literally what I wanted to hear. So that's perfect. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if they could get – if they could create – that type of uh, player to make, you know, I mean, James Houston, the difference between James Houston and Mike, I think James Houston is, is a better, I think he has better pass rush moves than Parsons. Parsons is just extremely explosive and fast. So, like, he's just beating guys to the spot. And then he's just stronger than you. I mean, he did a hump move by accident. I mean, Michael Parsons is a different ball game, but James Houston has the ability to play like that off ball if we need you and we need you to rush off the edge as well or we need you to rush up the gap so that's good to hear that he has that coach coming in from Penn State so that bodes well for James moving forward I, I, I love to hear that talking about do you want to ask the rest of that question Ryan James because I think it's probably relevant here oh yeah like you say we spoke about like say why he fell like you say the lack of experience and playing tape like you say Florida then coming down and that between or that 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 frame that doesn't fit itself to one position, but moving around like a chess piece, that does put some teams off, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It does, but there are teams that's like, well, you know what it is. I don't think people want another. What's the uh, kid from uh, Clemson? Jeffrey, uh, not Jeffrey Sim. Oh, God. Isaiah. Oh, Isaiah. 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 They don't want another. They don't want another. I mean, when we or talk Jeremy Chen. Oh, like freak athletes. And we don't know what to do with him. You know, like, we don't, no team wants that. You know what I'm saying? So that's why for him, James, he's, I think for James, he's going to be able to listen. I'm about the, I'm six foot, six foot one. I'm about 230, 240. Either I'm going to just stay at this weight and we're going to just do this off ball linebacker, sometimes edge rusher thing, or we might just put him a couple more pounds and I would say, hey, I'm just be a legit starting five technique. And probably play at 250 plus. He may be able to do it. I think I know he could do it, but if can he carry that weight? So, what I mean, if if, if you had to sort of put a, a percentage on it, do you reckon was was it that the scouting of James was was inadequate by the NFL because it was you know sort of the HBCUs it is sort of a thing that's becoming more relevant, but they might not scouted him properly, or was it James who added more to his arsenal uh, that you didn't see before? Um, as to why he broke out, especially like you say, when you get cut, you've got to wait till the second half of the season. Was it scouting or was it James or was it a bit of both? You got to naturally say both. What I've learned about scouting, you're gonna, you, you, you're just gonna miss some. This is gonna happen. Like you just never know. Who, you never know who the guy really is until he gets into the game, into the next level, and you're like, oh, he's not ready for this. <laughs> but. But in James, but then again, James got better. James was training with Chuck Smith, who used to play for the Atlanta Falcons. He's like one of the top defensive line trainers in the country. Like he trains with him. So when you see James working with a guy like that, there's no shock that he was able to do what he did because you know Chuck is a really good trainer. I was able to speak with him. He's high on. He likes James a lot. He like uh, Deshaun Dixon as well. So I mean, if he stamps them, then that sounds like a beautiful thing to me. So I. Truly, I truly believe that in the long run, James is going to be fun. James is going to have a very solid NFL career. He's not going. He's not a one-trick pony. He's only going to get better, and he's hungry. And you know, I, you can you can say the scouts might have missed, but 
sometimes people just get better. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. Some people just blossom a little differently than others. And James just blossomed into, he's, I mean, he's, if he has another year like this, now we're talking, is he one of the best edge rushers in the league in total? Because, you know, he did this on minimum reps. Eight, what was it, eight sacks? It was eight sacks on, I mean, he had, what, 10 less sacks than I think the leader, and he played 80% less of his plays. So you just never know what's going to happen with this kid. I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for him to say I'm excited to see what year two is going to look like for him. And, you, and you, by the way, you know, you guys, you guys just picked up another HBCU player too, so. Oh, well, Mac well, McCree, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about him in a minute. Um, just quickly, you mentioned at the start when we were talking about HBCU about how it gave you another opportunity, you know, to play football, etc. You see the draft class who came through last year. Houston really had to grind to get in our team, took his opportunity when he got there. Joshua Williams went to a Super Bowl contender, and we were talking with the Chiefs fan on this pod a few weeks back, and he said he was genuinely more excited to see him develop as a player than um, the Washington corner they took in the first round I keep forgetting his name all the time and then with Dakobe Trent McDuffie and then Dakobe Durant he had to wait till I think it was week 13 got in the team performed really well do you think this is sort of the culture that HBCUs are inspiring in their players that you know they will grind and they will grind and they will grind and when the opportunity is there that they will take it do you think that's to do with the schools as well that this mindset you're seeing from these players let me tell you something if, uh, if, if to play football at a historically black college, you have to be tough. Like, you're not going to – and definitely these guys, I mean, they, these guys follow their teammates from high school and they see, oh, man, my, my homie at Clemson, man, he he's sliding down, sliding down into the pool right now after practice. Or they're playing video games right in the locker room. And then, you know, you go to the school like, oh, I my school, we had a nice little locker room. Might have been the size of this apartment I'm sitting in right now. And we just made it work. You know, we, we walked across – we walked across some rocks to get to our football stadium. Sometimes we had to practice on a little patch of dirt, you know, when they had to fix the field up. It's just a different type of grind, you know. You just And it builds that mental toughness. And I'm not saying that, you know, FBS guys and guys from these more, uh, how do I say, uh, better funded institutions on the FCS level are not as tough. Well, they're not, they're not tough. But I don't think they're as mm-hmm. tough because they don't have to go through the different trials and tribulation it takes to be an HBCU athlete. So when you draft an HBCU athlete, that's going to come with it. So when you look at the HBCU players that are currently playing now, for the most part, they are tough, hard-nosed, hard-working individuals. you got a Darius Leonard, you got a Javon Harbour, who play on the same exact team, by the way, as South Carolina State. And I don't know if any – so just for uh, all, your fa- all the fans in the U.K., I want you all to just know that Buddy Poe is a very underrated – coach in this uh fcf no in this college football round he is putting out a product that i think a lot of people truly don't understand like he has right now i believe he has nine no eight no he has eight players in the nfl it's like some some number like that close to eight from south Carolina state who dave will tell you historically underfunded and they had a lot of administration stuff going on over the so they, they so Buddy Poe came up with a plan. He doesn't recruit outside of South Carolina, for the most part. If he if if there's a player from outside of South Carolina on South Carolina State's team, either he's really good or he's a transfer from a JUCO or a Power Five. They invest 
and the South Carolina, and they get their best. You look at their best players. They're South Carolina boys: Kobe Durant, Shaq Davis, Javon Hargrave. They're they are homebred. They redshirt their guys for the most part. They get them big and strong, and they let them know you're going to play Clemson. You're going to play the University of South Carolina. You better perform perform because that's your ticket, and it's work for them. You know, so it's a and they don't have much. They're working with not much, but they make it to the league and they make it because it's just that hard work and that grit that you like to see. So, this is the way I see it. This is the way I would I'll put it to you like this. North Carolina Central won the Celebration Bowl. They lost to one MEAC team last season. And that team was? South Carolina State, <laughs> who was last in the MEAC. <laughs> Seriously. I'm just, I'm just going to like, like, and I know my boy Josh is not going to be happy with me tell, reminding him of this. That's why he's co-champions with Howard, but that's the fact. They lost the one. They lost the one MEAC team in was South Carolina State. Buddy Pugh is a phenomenal coach. Buddy Pugh the year before that won the Celebration Bowl. Out coached Deion Sanders. Half folks questioning whether or not he could coach. Nobody, <laughs> nobody, nobody gave South Carolina State a chance to hell except for probably me and a couple other folks. You too, probably, because I know what the MEAC is. So uh, like yeah. so, but yeah, but but and Buddy Pugh's room room coaches like. My guy down in Florida. Yeah, he used yeah. to he used to work down in South Carolina. Used to be a coach for the University of South Carolina when uh, my boy in Florida was there. So like, Buddy Pugh has mentored a lot of coaches that are that are coaching at an FBS me- level, making millions. Like, but he cares about that institution. He does. He's been there for twenty years, and, and the folks will want him out of here. I was like, no, no. When you're there for twenty years, he leaves when he wants to leave because you're there for twenty years. That's how it works. And see, this is this is why I love to listen to you guys. It's just a treasure trove of information that you learn every time. So, Ryan, is there anything else you want to add about the 2022 draft class? Any other questions, or shall we move this one on? No. no. Okay, right. So, we've talked about HBCU, HBCU football, how it's done up with the 2022 class. Let's talk a little bit about the Legacy Bowl now, because I said at the start of the show, it is the newest of the All-Star games. It was just the second show, uh, the second the, you know, iteration of it this year. Um, so, as I say, it's a new All-Star game designed to give HBCU draft prospects more exposure to NFL teams. I believe most of the teams are represented down there, but it's far more than just a game. It's a combine in there as well, but... Overall, it is a very ambitious project to prepare players, not just for the NFL draft, but for their futures outside the game as well. So, can you just tell us a little bit about the Legacy Bowl week and, and what it entails for the players who attend? So, it's like, it's a cultural aspect of just uh, going around uh, New Orleans and just learning about the history of New Orleans. And then you have, like, the... Um, the um, the career fair that just shows like your investment into your future. They had a beautiful career fair there. Like we have players there work giving out resumes, you know, cause listen, we know the, how to think. I think they, I think the, uh, the average span of an NFL player, I think it went down to, I think it's like two, 2.5 now. I, I, I mean, when I was it's down uh, to 2.5 years now. Yeah. I think it's 2.5. I remember, that's what, um, who told me that someone told me at the shrine bowl. I can't remember which coach told me that he was from the Falcons. I can't remember his name. He told me like two point five. I thought it was four when I was when I was when I was in college. So that was, I was about to say ten years ago. So yeah, it's that's like three, when I was in like three and a half yeah. years. The last time I checked, but wow. Yeah, so I mean, it went. Yeah, I got to check again. But he mentioned it was like it went down about two and a half. So I'm like, okay, prepare for your future. So we have young men that are handing out resumes. We had students from all over HBCUs. 
come just for the career fair. And we had multiple uh, multiple uh, companies there looking to hire. And then outside of that, the football aspect is you get to they get an interview. They have a combine, which they're able to showcase their athletic ability. And they were on, they, they had legit, I think they said almost every team showed up. USFL, some USFL teams showed up. As you can see, they drafted, what was it, 12? I'm sorry, it was 12 uh, HBCU drafted, uh, HBCU players drafted in the USFL. And then we have about 19 in the XFL. So we had them, we had XFL represented as well. Canadian League, we had about, it was uh, two guys, in, uh, I believe it was two guys in Legacy Bowl 1 that went to the, that got picked up by the CFL. So, I mean, we had every team there. We had the job fair, career fair, and we had the cultural aspect of just being around New Orleans and being in Louisiana. That just made the game so great. And then you have players from all over the place. You got players from the from NIA to NCAA to CIAA to the SWAT to you name it. They have players from every conference, every HBCU region represented, and it was just a beautiful sight to see. Yeah, excellent. Um, so Dave, I'll put this one over to you now. With the second Legacy Bowl now in the books, um, what are your thoughts about how the first two have gone? You know, what's worked well? Is there anything else you would like to see included? I know you were having a conversation on Spaces the other day about maybe moving it earlier in the year, because we'll talk about it later, but player availability, etc. But how would you say it's gone, and, you know, what you like? What would you change? I mean, I, I, I honestly got that from Gerald, honestly, because he made a valid point about the, about the fact that you got all these other games. And the thing about the HBCU Legacy Bowl, what, made, what makes it great is that you get those opportunities to get this all-star game again. You get this opportunity to see the best of the best in HBCU football. And you're going to have the combination of the Division One and Division Two players. And you're going to get, you know, the independents. I, I call them the independents. You know, the one, the, the like like your, your A&T, your Hampton players, your your um, Tennessee State players, to go play within that diaspora, so to speak. Because they're not, they're not in the MEAC and SWAC anymore type of thing. So from, from that perspective... You want to get the best of the best. You want it to be a really good game. And you don't necessarily get that depending on how you land on the date because some players make make the decision to decide, I don't think I want to do this because it's too much of a risk if it's getting too close to a certain, to the combine or to the draft or something else. Because there were some good players that didn't play. And when we get to the game, I know Gerald, I haven't had a chance to watch the game yet because I was down to CIAA basketball tournament this week. But... I know for last week, but I know Gerald will tell you that the offensive line play was woof. <laughs> so, I yeah, uh, I've, I've watched it twice, and yeah, I, I agree there. But we'll we'll talk he about. He tried to convince me not well, to even watch it. Well, I just asked hey, how did McDaniel do. He was like, "Oh, McDaniel did great." I was like, "All right, cool." Hey, Ger- <laughs> Ger- Gerald's a D line coach. I bet he absolutely loved what he saw from this. We'll, oh, we'll, we'll talk. Oh. We'll, we'll talk about the game in a minute, though. But Gerald, okay. same question to you. You've seen the two bowls now, the Lacey Weeks. What do you like about them? Is there anything you would change immensely about it? Or is it just a case of, you know, getting more more years going by, the profile growing a little bit? How do you feel about it? The biggest thing for me is just, you know, I just, I just, I love the Legacy Bowl so much. It's just such a dope event. I just want to see, I just want, I don't want players to have to feel like they have to make that decision. You know what I mean? Where it's like, okay, I, I want to play in the Legacy Bowl, you know, but it's like, you know, 
I don't want to risk messing up my. I can't mess up my money or like Marshall Lynch said, chicken. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to mess it up. You know you don't want to. It means just you know, something I, like I'm. I'm be honest with you now. There were players just, in the Legacy Bowl that were a little dinged up. You know from either training or just from the season, but that just shows that HBCU grit again. They played because they know like this is my shot. You know, and that, it just shows like this, and they play like you see the, these guys. <laughs> You know, you see some all-star game, you know, guys, you know, they'll hit you, but it's like, but these guys, I mean, you saw the the kid from Kentucky State. He was trying to hurt. He was trying oh, to take people. <laughs> he was trying to take people out the game. But that's, but that, I mean, you know, that's what you're going to get out of some of these all-star games. Definitely HBCU Legacy Bowl. Even last year, they were, hit, they were hitting, you know, but you would like to see that in January, you know, when their bodies are like, okay, only a, a month off from hitting. These guys have been all, these, a lot of these guys haven't hit in about two months. It's a long time. You know, that's a long time to not hit. So, I mean, I would just say from a personal aspect, I just wanted to see a Aubrey Miller wear that Legacy Bowl jersey. Even if he didn't, you know, do a lot. Just to see him in the jersey, just like last hoorah. And the guy that's grown to love HBCU so much and he's expanding. You love to see a Mark Evans and Isaiah Lamb one-on-one in practice just one more time. Just say just one more time. You know, you just want to see that. You want to see a Jadakus Bonds and the Shaq Davises and the Dallas James go against a Keenan Isaac. Like Keenan Keenan Isaac never went against Jadakus Bonds, and now we might not ever see that ever happen. You know that, but that's just from my fan point of view. But from my, you know, from a scout point of view, it's like, listen, the guy played in the Shrine Bowl, the guy played the Senior Bowl, he played in the NFLPA Bowl. I can't knock him for not wanting to play in the league. And y'all will never do that because guess what? I'm not the one that's about to, you know, I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not a potential draft pick. Like these guys to get drafted, they don't want to ruin that for anything. So I don't want anybody to think that I'm telling them what. No, I'm just saying from a personal, from a fan. Now this is from HBCU fan. I would like to see the game just be moved up, just so we get all our players to play, our best players to play. That's all I'm saying. No, no, fully agree. And like you say, with all these other games around, you know, you kind of want it to say, center stage, don't you? You want these guys to get as much attention as possible, and you want the best players to play. So, no, I can fully get behind that. You, you mentioned, obviously, the NFL teams, they go down there now. But in the first two years, how, how to you do you think the NFL has taken to the Legacy Bowl? So, so you saw, because Martin Mayhew was down there, GM for Washington, I believe Mike Tomlin was there as well, if I'm remembering right. Like, I'm not sure what... You notice, are the NFL sort of... Are they getting bigger on it? Is the representation that's coming down, are they high-level guys? Are they are they like, this going to be a thing where it's just going to keep growing and growing and the NFL is going to get as invested in it as like the Senior Bowl, the Shrine Bowl? I think it's, it's growing. I mean, <laughs> and that's why, you know, you would like to see the best players play because it is growing. It's, it's going to be an event that's not going anywhere. It's backed by the NFL. They put a lot of they put a lot of time into it. They put their money where their mouth is with it. Um, they said they want to take over the HBCU combine, which they did because last year it was a little, to say the least. We had young men um, running, you know, their forty yard dash in you know thirty degree weather. It's not ideal. But now this year we have they put it inside of a, a league facility. They were inside the New Orleans Saints facility, and you know they got a laser. They had laser times for the most part on their uh, on their runs and stuff. So. It, it was legit, legitimate numbers that they were getting. So you see, like a, a, a Darius Hagens from Virginia State who got drafted. Uh, I believe he got, he's going to New Orleans for the USFL. He runs a four four, small t- small school kid, Virginia State. You know, but 
it's like, okay, he ran a 4-4. Like, okay, we like speed. So let's just look at him one more. So you just never know. You know, now Xavier Smith is getting – Steve Smith is pretty much oh. telling the teams right oh. now, if you don't draft or bring Xavier Smith into camp, I'm going to talk about you bad every week. You know, like you have Steve Smith who's championing you, but you know why? They saw him at the HBCU Combine. He's like, wow, let me look back. And then Steve broke it. He did a beautiful breakdown of his film. And I'm just like, that's what I like to see. Okay, yeah. He didn't get the opportunity he may have deserved. But that's why if you put the game a little earlier, Xavier Smith did what he did in, pra- <laughs> well, he did in practice this week to the, D- to the DBs on that, on that team. <laughs> It was it was it wasn't fair. Like you can't you can't control him one one on one. His, his burst at the top of his route. Once he stacks you, you you're gone. Once he stacks you, he's there's nothing you can do. You know. But his biggest thing when I spoke to scouts about him is what we talked about earlier. When you're a five nine hundred seventy pound skill position, you have to do something on specialty. You have to be damn near elite at it. You know. Um, and you know it's just you know you would. You just don't see that per se from Zay Smith. Can he do it? Sure. Was he asked to do it? No, because you know he was their number one receiver. You know, so we just need we needed you to be our number one receiver, and that's what he did to the best of his ability. So when you see the HBCU Combine, the Legacy Bowl, and like it's on NFL Network. It's yeah. Like you know, like it's there. Like you have some of the top guys who talk about football, literally watching you throughout the week and then watching you play. So they can't say they didn't see you. So, you yeah. know, now it puts the, you know, puts the onus on them. It's like, okay, we saw this guy play throughout the season. We saw him in person. Why is he not getting picked up? So now yeah. they're, you know, probably have some answers they have to. But end of the day, it's all about opportunity. And a lot of guys took advantage of it throughout the week. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I watched, I watched it. Sorry, Dave. Um, I watched it on my way home on the way from work because it was on NFL Game Pass, so just easy to watch. And let's say it's, it's, it's good that it's able to do so. We'll talk about the picks. We'll, we'll get into the prospects now because I know we all want to talk about the prospects and put them out there so everyone hears about them. Go on quickly, Dave. Yeah. One thing about the Combine, um, shout, out to Blue, shout out to the Blue Bloods who, who does pretty much FCS college football across the board. He said that there was pretty much the same guys that run the NFL Combine that's happening this week. It is pretty much the same team. They brought the same squad yep. that run that's running the NFL combine this week down in New Orleans for the Legacy Bowl. So they're gonna have so because there were some folks saying, "Well, why you, they should go to the NFL combine next week?" I'm like they don't need to. It's the same people. It's yeah. the same guys. Yep. One's in Indianapolis. One's in New Orleans. One's a smaller group. We don't get caught up in the noise. One's a bigger group where you will get caught up in the noise. Yeah. yeah, and they're gonna get all the data. Yeah, so you might have more opportunity right now. Yeah. <laughs> Xavier Smith is getting some shine. Yeah, the, the, that uh, man might get drafted because of this shit. Yeah, I <laughs> like, think he's I think, gonna get drafted. I think several guys <laughs> could be right. We'll move on to pro- one last quick question. We'll move on to the prospects. So, um, just shout out to everyone who's in the chat. By the way, sorry, I've not been ignoring you all night, but we've got a lot to chat about. So, I want to get through it. Um, one of our listeners, Cool A Kitty, goes: Is the NFL contributing to the Legacy Bowl? If not, they should be. Now, I believe. A lot of people yes. do. Jameis, Jameis Winston was there. He put money in, but do they? Do the NFL contribute to it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You might have more. Yes, they do. They do. They they they're all like our, my my mentor, uh, Roman Oven. He's assistant with it. Troy Vincent. Those guys like Doug Williams, Sha- uh, Shaq Harris. Like those guys. They're 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 putting their money and their time where their mouth is. And we 
guys like me, you know, guys like Dave, who we're we're in this industry, we love our kids. You know, what I mean, we love our players, and we just like to see people that are taking care of them. So it looks like they're being very well taken care of. And I, I, I you know, God willing, I can work with these brothers one day, and we could really, you know, continue to grow the brand. But they're doing an exceptional job. Excellent. Right. I wonder. I wonder if they're using the Inspire Change money. Well, maybe. If, I mean, technically, wouldn't that wouldn't that be right along what they want to do anyway? So, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't me. makes sense, right? Fun fact: they spend more money on Inspire Change than any other organization that they have. Any other thing that they give to a cause, they spend more money on Inspire Change than anything else in the league, like the cancer, the Cancer Society, the military. They invest more money on Inspire Change than anything else. You wouldn't know it though. Yeah. Body yeah. Jones did a whole segment on it on Game Theory the other week. Phenomenal segment, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. He says, if I'm buying NFL stuff, I'd like to think some of these funds are appointed towards lifting these boys up. So yeah, hopefully, like say, it will be. So right, let's move it on. Anyhow, we've talked about a lot here, but let's start to focus on the prospects now. So the Legacy Bowl game, the 2023 draft class. Let's start with the Legacy Bowl game. She said the guys in there. Ryan, do you want to? Start this one off. Well, I saw it, yeah. Uh, but it was, I know it's a defensive battle. <laughs> I've watched it for quite a while, so <laughs> I suppose that'd be probably a bit of an understatement. Uh, 10 3, wasn't it, the final score? Yeah, I, I predicted a 13 to 9. I guess I was shooting shooting for the stars with that one. Um, but yeah. I did, I did, I did say I picked, I picked Gaither to win. Gaither was the MEAC CIAA team, right? Yes. I picked I picked Gaither to win only if they could figure out a way to stop Xavier Smith. But they did not. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so for those listening, the two teams who played Team Gaither, Team Robinson, so they're both named after former HBCU coaches, uh, I believe from a while ago. So it was Alonso Gaither, who's the Florida A&M head coach, or was a long time ago, and then Eddie Robinson, who was Grambling State head coach, if I've got my facts right there, I believe. Yeah. So, um, okay, very quickly, you mentioned, obviously, some of the top prospects didn't play there. I mean, I, th- I think you already said this, but what, what did you make of the decision for some of the top guys to, to not be in that game? Um, well, I'm be honest with you, it didn't hurt their stock, per se. Mark Evans, <clears throat> some people have him as a top 100 um, prospect. So, I mean, he was fine. He's actually going to be performing at the uh, Combine this week. Um, Isaiah Land, you just saw him in the Combine. He's, he's okay. He's okay. Arby Miller, he had a great senior bowl. I mean, I mean, he had a really he had a really solid performance. I mean, he's another one. Like, he didn't need to do the Legacy Bowl. I would just personally have liked to see him do it. Uh, Jadakiss Bond's another one. He did everything he was supposed to do at the Shrine Bowl. It's not his fault. Like these these All Star games, these D linemen are really just teeing off on these offensive linemen, like across the board. I mean, they're just. I, I've always I keep saying these offensive linemen have to become more athletic. Like you need to turn some of these tight ends into just left tackles to make them some money because they're just. You just watch every game, like the senior from the Senior Bowl to the NFLPA Bowl to now the Legacy Bowl. The defensive linemen are just having the time of their life. They, it's almost like they never had this much fun ever. Pass rushing. It's almost every play there's a sack. So, you know, you look at like um, you know, I'm trying to think of uh, hmm, 
So, okay, so you look at the game, like, with Mark Evans in the Shrine Bowl game. He had a great Shrine Bowl. He graded out one of the best pass rushers. If you believe in the PFF, because it's kind of confusing sometimes. But if you believe in PFF, he had one of the top grades pass blocking for all offensive linemen across the board for All-Star Week. So he didn't need to play in the, uh, the Legacy Bowl, per se. Then you have um, Dallas Daniels. He's a guy I think might have benefited from it, um, but he's very highly touted, uh, top FCS receiver. Uh, receiver. Um, people really like his game. I like his game too. Slot guy. Um, he's your third and five. Like you just need a third and five. Catch the ball. Get upfield. That's him. Um, he uses. He has really good body control. He has really good um, ability to stack. Uh, to stack. Um, and he's really quick out of his stem at the top of his route. Um, he can run everything in a route tree. Serviceable blocker. Could be a better blocker, but he's not the biggest guy. But he could be a better blocker. Um, but he's going to be a full – I think he's going to have to transition to full-time slot receiver. Yeah. Um, about 5'11", about close to – he's about 190 pounds, which is probably – it's actually a nice size. You stand next to him, he looks like a football player, just like Jadakus Bonds. And then you have another guy that didn't play, Shaq Davis. Dave, you know, know, Shaq clearly because, you know, South Carolina. But, I mean, like, Shaq Davis is – he. so I comped him to Martavis Bryant because what you're going to get from Shaq Davis is you're going to – to get that, that explosive play. But on 35, he might drop the snap route. But are you willing to deal with that? Most teams are, to be honest with you. But for me, you know, I was a Panthers fan. So I am a Panthers fan. So, you know, Ted Ginn, he haunts, he haunted me because the t- <laughs> the stuff he would drop. <laughs> and then, oh, but here's the kicker. Dave, here's the kicker. He goes to the Saints, and he becomes Stephon Diggs. So he doesn't drop anything. So it's like okay, you know. But the thing is, but the thing is, before he before before he came to Carolina, he was that guy. Like that pre pre, dude, he had no business going top ten when he got drafted by the Dolphins. He was so fast. Like he didn't, yo. He was yes. That's why he got drafted top ten by the Dolphins. He was so fast. Just like John Ross, all these four three guys that can't hold a thing. Or my boy, the the, the kid from Ohio State that we had. That ran like a four three. Um, oh, oh god! What, what was his name? name? Oh, I remember his name. Braxton, the one that we. Uh, Braxton Miller. Braxton Miller. Was it? We end up getting Braxton Miller. No, it was Drew something. I thought it was Drew something. We didn't have Braxton Miller at one point. I swore we had Braxton Miller at one point. Okay, but anywho, sorry, but yes. Now I'm curious. But yes, all in all, our top recruits did like Isaiah Bolden. I think he could have benefited from playing the Legacy Bowl. Um, he did have a solid show in the NFLPA Bowl, though. But I just think like people on people are kind of on the fringe with him because like yeah, you're an FBS transfer, um, had a kind of up and down career at Jackson State, but your ceiling is just so high. You have such a high ceiling because he's a big corner, who I believe could be a really Good safety as well. I think he could be a really good safety. He's just so freakishly athletic, and he has good ball skills, and he's long. So, I mean, I I would like to see him play in the Legacy Bowl too. But I think he set himself up fine because he's going to be – he's in the USFL. Uh, he got drafted by USFL. And one thing I would just like to say, we have HBCU players with options to play pro football now. Like, mm-hmm. that's big for me. Because, you know, when I was in school or when Dave was in school, if you didn't go to NFL – you are in Germany, some you're in probably in Germany or you're in Canada. You know, that seems like where everybody went. So now we have leagues in Mexico. We still got the European football league. Arena I heard arena arena football is starting to come back. We got two spring leagues. I mean, 
it's so much professional football now. So now we have HBCU players that have options. And let's just be real. I'm honest with you. The guys that got drafted from HBCU to USFL, they're not going to be in the USFL for long. These guys are probably going to transit to the NFL either not this year or the or next year. So, yes, they didn't play in the Legacy Bowl, but some of the guys got drafted, and they just was like, okay, I'm I'm just going to work on my body and get ready for my pro day. And there's nothing, like I said, there's nothing wrong. Well, that was going to be my question. You've answered it for me. The resurrection of the XFL is huge for HBCU, isn't it? Because so many players fall through the cracks that don't get drafted by the NFL. I've got friends that have played in the GFL, German Football League. I saw, I know a lot of Brits that play in the ELF. You're, like I said, they were your only options. But I saw like uh, Pittsburgh Maulers, USFL, took the rights to Andrew Farmer, the defensive oh, end. I think yes, he, he looks like a rip. They're, they're really hoping that these guys don't get picked up in the NFL. But yeah. The XFL and the USFL is, is huge, isn't it? Like I said, for picking up players, like I said, and we've got Detroit Lions had like I know Maurice Alexander didn't go to HBCU, but he showed you how good a returner he was. Got yes. a pro league. Cavonte Turpin, like I say, yeah. he went to Poland. He went to like I say the USFL and then just had like an all pro rookie season returning. So it, it's gonna be such a big platform, isn't it? For a lot of these guys in Legacy Bowl. Yeah. You gotta love sports, man. Like you can't make that story up. Like some of these stories is like wow, you know. Like we have, we have kids in this draft from the HBCU where I'm like, you know, you hear some of their stories and how they got here. It's, it's 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 amazing to see, and that's why we just have to continue to talk about them as much as we can. We got to continue to be on platform. I mean, I'm talking about HBCU players on a podcast that's based in in in, in the UK. <laughs> like, that's, okay, this that's, is this. <laughs> This is, why we like, this is why we like to do it, though. We, we don't hear about this, and we want to put as much of the game out there as possible. So that's why we want to do this whole thing. But, you know, we're talking prospects here, and if I can quickly just fit this one in right before your next one. Um, guys during the game who did well, and I don't really want to give spoilers away for Dave because he's not watched it yet. But no, 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 one, we're good. We're good. One guy was really... convinced me that it wasn't worth my time. As soon as he told me how bad, he said, look, it's pretty much a sack party. And I saw the highlight, and I wanted to see how my boy... Jalen Fowler did, and Zach Leslie. Uh, I, I and then got, when he told me he pretty much was running for his life the whole game, I said, oh, I don't know why I watched that. Well, we need to ask about your QB in a minute because – but anyhow, quickly, during the game, and there's one guy I'm really intrigued here because he bears such similarities to someone we drafted this season. And he won, I think it was the defensive player of the game, but that's Jason Dumas. Is it Dumas or Dumas? Dumas. 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 So he's the defensive lineman. He was Prairie View A&M. And then I think it was Southern. I mean, he had a great week in the combine. I watched him. I was taken aback by how well he played. And then three sacks on the day during the game. And I, and I listened to his interview because he's he's a bit undersized, isn't he? I think he's 5'9", 270 pounds for a defensive yeah, lineman, which, which goes in there. But I listened to his interview and he said something interesting. He goes, like, when people, you know, are evaluating him, he goes, people look at me. But they don't look at me, as in they look at him and they see the size. They don't look at him as the player and the guy that he is. And this time last year, me and Ryan raved about him on our college pub. We drafted Malcolm Rodriguez, the linebacker from Oklahoma State. In the sixth round, everyone said he's small, his arms are short. You know, he's never going to make it. But me and Ryan watched college a lot. We, We knew that was a load of bull. One, because he's incredibly athletic and two you know he's got history in wrestling very good pro wrestler what does that do 
gives you knowledge of leverage, of how to get over guys who are bigger than you. You are able to negate those issues you have. And me and Ram were both saying he will take to this like a duck to water. Special teams, high-intensity motor, what happens? He wins the starting job week one of our season against much more, you know, against vets. Our coach, our linebacker coach was like, I don't want to give this man a job, but you're forcing me to because he is. But when he said that, and I'm thinking, that's exactly the type of thing Malcolm was saying last year. People saw the size and they ignored him. So for him in this game and how well he did, do you think that he has sort of the similar attribute to go into the NFL and succeed despite the size? Can can he overcome that with how he plays? Because it looks looks to me like he can. I I Listen, I, he had a down year to his standard. But... I mean, to talk to him possibly moving to fullback, and I watched practice one day, and he, he, he cleaned somebody. He was at fullback, and he hit somebody by – it looked like he did it on purpose. He hit somebody accident and flew him all the way almost cross field. I mean, Dumas, he's very compact. I mean, he's <laughs> – he's really Pat Ricard. I mean, just a, he's actually a little shorter, but, I mean, he's just as built and strong and athletic as a Pat Ricard. So, if you want talk to him possibly – that you know is going to just go within the B, the A gap, or even might go around the corner. He's just turned to bend the corner. And he's going to hit a linebacker or a safety one-on-one. Yeah, you trust a Dumas because he's shown that he can move. He has good lateral movement considering that he's 5'10", 270-plus pounds. But that's a lot of weight to move around, but he moves around very well. He's quick. And I just want to say, like, for the, I feel bad for the D-Lyman because in the, for the most part – they weren't getting a good look in the All Star game, so I really want people to just look at the look at that game with a, you know with a grain of salt to an extent, you know to an extent because the guys are good, the guys are good. I just think that when it comes to offensive line play, their cohesion has to be the best out of anybody on the on the field, and you could tell with certain combination blocks, you could tell with certain pass protections. They just haven't practiced with each other for a long time, so it's to the advantage of the defensive linemen. So for them, they were just like, okay, well, we're going up the field with it. So Dumas is good, though. He has a really strong base. The only thing I'm not with him playing D-tackle is a double team in his arms and trying to get that good extension against certain, uh, you know, gets bigger, just as athletic, offensive linemen on next level, you know. Uh, I, but I think that move to fullback wouldn't hurt him per se. If that's what teams are telling him from what I've been hearing, I want to see it. It means that they're like, okay, let's see what we could do with this freak athlete who was an FCS All-American, who was an HBCU All-American, who was All-Draft HBCU at one point. Like, you have to give him a shot. So I like his I like his stock. I just want people to just make sure they temper their expectations because, yeah, at the end of the day, he is undersized, but there is a shot for him. I actually comped him to um, Nikita Whitlock, Whitlock from the Giants. Like, that's just – you know, undersized, deep as a lineman that plays fullback sometimes. Like, I guess I think the league is starting to look a little basketball-ish with these guys. You got to just play everything. These play everything guys. Like, there's no, I mean, there's not a lot of true centers in, in, in the uh, NBA anymore. These guys play everything. These six nine, they're six nine, and they could they could uh, play on the wing and they could play in the paint, similar to mm-hmm. play, being a football player. Now you have to be able to do more than one thing to be a successful player going along, moving forward. Brian? I agree. Like I said, versatility is the apple of the eye now, isn't it? It's what people look for. If you can go both ways, you don't want to have to, but it, it's enough to, say, to stay in a place on a practice squad at least. 
I say, um, I think a practice squad, like I say, is one of the most crucial things the NFL has these days. The ability to stash away players like, say, Dumas, uh, guys like uh, uh, yeah, Jadakis, guys like this, they're going to get stashed on a 53 on that practice squad. It may just be activated for a few games to show their chances. So, yeah, I I, I enjoyed the game. Like I said, I love physical, great football. I'm a defensive man myself. I played defensive back, so I, I like that kind of ball. So I really enjoyed this game. I don't like big, explosive shootouts. I like great <laughs> French wars. <laughs> I, I, just, I, like, I, I just wish the offensive line got a little bit of love, but I do agree, Gerald, man. Like, But the defense is always ahead. Like When I used to go to training camp, for the Panthers, man. Oh yeah, that's the first thing you notice. Like at the beginning, the first week, that's the first thing you notice. The defensive yeah. line is dominating the offense. Yeah. Dominating. Yeah. So dominating. <laughs> so, in regards to the the week of practice and that itself, we'll talk about your top guys next. But who did their stock the best? Do you reckon in the week itself and during the game, who maybe wasn't on the radar before amongst those top guys? Man, uh, uh, Jaden Thomas, uh, the wide receiver, number ten from uh, from Benedict. Was he uh, was he the one who had that crazy one handed catch? Yes, he had a he wore number thirty one throughout the week, and I thought it was Maurice Washington from Grambling. So I'm watching the tape. I'm like, Maurice Washington is that receiver. He looks he looks good. He looks. I'm like, oh wow. And then uh, Emory Hunt uh, from Football Game Plan. He reached out to me like, oh, that's not that's not uh, Maurice Washington. That's Jaden Thomas from Benedict. I said, oh, my God, this kid, this kid, he, I mean, he was going against the top corners in the swag, and he was winning. And he, he he's a, he's a guy that projected. Um, we got Devon McCoy, the the tight end from um, from uh, Clark Atlanta, my alma mater. He's big. Um, not much of a blocker per se, but when it came to running routes, I mean, he looked very fluid as a he could he might be a big slot guy, kind of an H back guy, someone to look out for. Um, who else? Uh, Robert Mitchell, the offensive lineman from North Carolina Central, that part of that offensive line that dominated Jackson State. He just picked up where he left off to me. Um, he's a mauler. He reminds me of Trey Turner from the Carolina Panthers back in the day, uh, back when he played for them. He's a uh, Get my hands on you early, and I'm not trying to let you move. Stifle kind of guy. Really strong punch. Solid base. He has to work kind of with reworking his hands and having his not make, make sure his base doesn't come too close when he's a pass setting. But for the most part, once he gets his hands on you, he's a violent, violent guy. He wants to finish you and put you through the dirt. Not in the dirt. Do it. Like, all the way down. All the way down. The dirt. To the core. As far as you can go. He's very violent, and I love that about him so much. And Zay Smith, I mean... I could say I'm just gonna say Zay because you know he did what he was supposed to do. Um, I mean, I really liked how he performed throughout the week. He couldn't be, he couldn't be uh, covered um, in seven on seven. He was doing what he had to do. Uh, considering the quarterback had a little iffy start to the week, they kind of played better towards the end, so he was able to like get more catches. Um, who else? Uh, defensive line wise. I like what I saw from. I mean, prior we had not. We already had an idea that prior. This is who prior. Joshua Pryor from Bowie State. This is what he does. Um, I think for a lot of people that may not have seen him play, this is like a. Oh wow, this this guy was good. I mean, he had over. What do you think he had? Uh, I think he's a, no, he's a career tackle for loss leader in uh, in, in uh, D two. So I mean, he knows how to play in the backfield. He's a solid pass rusher as well. He's a guy that really boosts his stock. Um, 
Isaiah Williams with the new weight because he played the kid from Delaware State. He played about 280 at one point. Did he lost weight? Now he's around like 250, 260. He played inside, played outside, very twitchy. Good Ben. Uh, he's training with um, God, God. he's a training with a uh, name Javon Parker. Um, really good D line trainer up this way. Um, who well, I mean, oh, and Keyshawn Moore. Another guy. They I was just, training. I was just about yeah. to ask about him. I saw your tweet saying he's the sleeper oh. who has woken up. Oh, oh my God! Listen, love the kid. Like he is, he, <laughs> he does not play as big as he is. I did not know Keyshawn Moore was going to weigh two hundred eighty pounds. I would, I sincerely thought he was two hundred forty five, two hundred fifty pounds. So when I, when he, <laughs> when he, when he, uh, revealed to me what his size was, and then I heard what his 40 was, and his shuttle, and then he's putting up the bench press at least 30, 30 plus times. I'm like, oh my God. Like, But a guy like Keyshawn Moore is going to be fine. I mean, remember, he had that NIL deal with uh, with uh, the WWE, and he's already been traveling with them. So, he's going to be fine even if football doesn't work out. And, you know, due to that WWE relationship, you know exactly where he could end up, XFL. WrestleMania. <laughs> or, so, so he was at he was at was he he was at the Royal was he at Royal Rumble or Royal Rumble probably yeah so I mean he has a shot to be oh, that football player he looks like it football George wrestler yeah he's gonna get the best yo if he yeah. if because the thing is they love those type of guys that have that type of physique yeah and they'll they'll be willing to work with them if he's got the right if he's got the look and if he yeah. has charisma you're gonna yeah. get it. And if he can figure out, and if he loves it, if he figures out the craft, superstar. I used to I watch it all the time. I think it's gonna go well for him. He, I, I like Keisha. I've, I've been saying Keisha Moore is gonna sneak into somebody's camp because he's just so, he's just so big. Like he's big and he's fast. He, what else do you want? Six two, played linebacker, two hundred eighty pounds, played D line, played defensive line, played interior, and he's good across the board, passers and all. A little stiff. A little stiff, not not a lot of stiff. He's little, just a little stiff at the top, but I mean, he's previously strong, so that you know you you're going to expect a little stiffness. But for the most part, he could collapse the pocket like like anybody can, and he's able to drop back in coverage. And he's 280 pounds once again. So people talking about putting him at fullback as well. That's another that's another uh, tidbit I've heard. So uh, who else we got? I got to shout out my guy. I've been talking about all year. And I cannot get off the show without talking about him, Ronnie Thomas. From Mississippi yeah, Valley State. I get it. He's five ten and a half. But man, you can't block that on the edge. You can't. He's he's five ten and a half and he has the best bend in this class. Best bend. So now you got him bending. Who's who can block that? Now you got Officer Lyman chokeholding him around the corner because you can't stay in front of him. He's gonna beat you to the spot. He's strong. He's five ten and a half, two hundred and fifty pounds. That's not a small person. Like he's only twenty pounds. He's twenty pounds less than Jason Dumas. Wow! <laughs> this take a Jason Dumas two hundred and seventy plus. Ronnie Thomas is five ten and a half, two hundred and fifty, and he's an edge rusher. I just want him to get a shot. I just want listen. He just needs a shot. I know teams gonna look at his height. I don't care. I will fight for Ronnie Thomas because he needs a shot just to give him just give him a chance. Give him a chance to come off the edge against some taller guys. Like I'm just saying, a six eight tackle cannot block someone five ten and a half two hundred fifty pounds consistently. Eventually they're going to get through. So I have to shout him out. Um, and outside of that, the guys that got drafted by the USFL, 
they look they look good. Ray Estes, yeah. very feisty little guy. Like he tackles, he likes to hit. He press man guy, get up in your face. Um, Darius Hagens, he's the speedster, four four guy, looks good. Emmanuel Wilson, he didn't get drafted by the USFL, but he might get picked up by the XFL, USFL. He might end up being a UDFA as well because he's a really big back, 5'11", 230. Uh, we comped him to Latavius Murray because um, he had a nice little high step when he runs. I like to see it. He runs. It's funny. He looks taller on film, but legit 5'11", 230 is a big back. Um, Keenan, uh, Keenan Isaac, I like Keenan Isaac. I like big corners. Like our scout for draft HBCU, Coach Nooks, he's a DB guy. He likes small DBs. That's his thing, because he was a small DB when he played. So he likes a little sm- – I like tall corners. It was crazy. I like my safety small, my t- my corners big. It's really weird. I don't know how that works, but I like it. Like, Bob Sanders is outside of Sean Taylor, <laughs> my favorite. I love watching Bob Sanders play. Uh, like, that little bullet was just so fun to watch. So, But I like my, co- corners, uh, my corners tall. So Keenan Isaac, very, very solid hip fluidity in zone. Uh, when he's impressed, man, the only thing I say about him, if he doesn't get his hands on you early, then you may be able to beat him. But if you get his, if he gets his hands on you early in the route, it's going to be hard for you to beat him. He's played against top competition. Auburn, UCLA, performed very well. So he's a guy that got drafted. I'm very high. I I think people need to look out for him. He's And, uh, and everybody wants to hear about Nugget. Nugget is the hardest – is one Dejon Warren from uh, Jackson State. Like Nugget is one of those like you're gonna be so good once whatever you're going through. Once that snap, once that snaps, you snap out of whatever that was that was going on to Jackson, whatever it may be. That is a phenomenal cornerback to have on your team because he's a he can punt return, he can kick return, he can play the slot. I think he can play a little safety, but Coach Nooks doesn't think so. So I'm gonna just defer to Coach Nooks because he's a DB guru. I do defensive line, but I know DB play. But if he's, but I think he could play anywhere on the defensive backfield. I like Nugget a lot. He's going to run a four three, again because he ran at the HBCU combine. From my understanding, he ran a four three eight, which is expected. He's going to have a forty inch vert. He's going to have a quick shuttle. And guess what? He was the number one JUCO player in the country. Everybody wanted him. And if he had a year, if he had a season or two seasons that he had at Alabama, that he had at Jackson State, he would get drafted in the fifth round. That's just that's just the spade of spade, you know. So teams like a person like that, they might bring him in a UDFA. But if he doesn't, I'm okay with the guys I just named playing in the USFL for the spring, because you ain't playing a while. You ain't playing a while. You know, you want to just develop some more. And the USFL has clearly shown that you know if you play well there, you may become an All Pro. You know, it it's, it just may happen. So. If they're ready for that grind, then I support them. I want them to do it. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for these guys. Every single last one of them I just named. I'm excited to see what it looks like next level. Within, well, shoot, USFL so, starts soon. Yeah, <laughs> very, 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 very soon. You know, I love hearing about all these guys. I'm, and I'm not saying this bias as a DL guy, but I noticed you did put all the D line guys first when you were giving out love there. So, <laughs> I, not saying there's no bias at that point, but I, I agree. There is, there is a lot there. So I'm, I'm not going to hold that there. Um, <laughs> sorry, I can't, um, I, I, can't help I, I, I know, I know. Um, <laughs> so there is a lot of sleeper talent there. We know, but there are also top prospects coming out this year probably going to hear the names Ryan is there anyone any questions you want to ask about them guys because I know 
you've been watching them I've been watching them any questions in regards yeah Isaiah Land like that that where is the best place to play him? And do you think there's like a handful of teams that fit well? Like, what sort of scheme is he going to look best in? Would he fit the Lions, like, say, in that, like, 4-3 bookends, like, stand them up? Or could he fit us? I'm going to, I guess I'll ask, from, since y'all y'all know y'all know y'all team very well, do you think there's a, a place for another tweener, a guy that may be able to do some D-line and may be able to do some off-ball backer? Because one thing I'll say, he's the tallest six three guy I've ever seen in my life. He looks so much taller than six. I can't believe he's six foot three. So he's six three. He done put on about fifteen pounds since the season ended. So he could get bigger. So now we're talking about six three, maybe two forty, two forty five. We're like, okay, we've seen six three, two hundred forty five pound edge rushes before. Now the big thing I'm learning about, you know, with watching the lines, I'm like, okay, their run fits. And I think their linebackers make them look even better. Mm-hmm. Their run fits are not bad. I like their run fits a lot. Their D coordinator helped. You know, they got better throughout the uh, throughout the year. But they they seem like their edges. They do a really good job of squeezing gaps and maintaining that outside contain. And their big guys in the middle do a really got, good job of letting these linebackers run around and have some fun. So, is Isaiah Land a every down, you know, defensive lineman in the NFL right this second? Maybe not. But that athleticism. You might want to draft that because guess what? He may get the sack on that third and five, that third and five, that third and ten. But I also want people to understand because I know people are going to compare him to James Houston because just due to the fact that they were, you know, the top edge rushers in the HBCU realm the past two years. I just want people to temper the expectations when they're trying to compare the two because I just think they're two different players because. Land is an edge rusher his whole life trying to compare. They're now they're trying to like say he needs to play off ball, and like they're doing this after the season. James Houston was an off ball backer that Jane, that Jackson State said we need you to we think you should be an edge rusher. So now he had multiple years of tape as an outside backer or inside backer or off ball backer to say, and now he's moved to edge and he's just as productive there. So he has more tape and reps at doing both. Isaiah Lamb, per se, he didn't start becoming a real off-ball backer. They started having that conversation until after the season, now he saw it in the senior bowl. Did he look good doing it? You know, he looked pretty good. He looked pretty fluid. When you see him in the combine drills, he looks pretty fluid and, you know, looking up in his backpedal and coverage. He looks fine, but we haven't seen it yet consistently. We saw that with James Houston before he came out. So I just want people to just be very cautious of the expectations, but I don't want people to put too high expectations on Isaiah Lamb. Isaiah Land coming out could be a very good rotational guy his rookie year. I think for his rookie year, that's a nice ceiling for him. He could be a rotational guy, similar to what Houston did, but I just want people to just temper their expectations a little bit. I think when it comes to the pass rushing aspect, the pure pass rushing, James Houston is slightly better. I feel like you could. I have a question for you then. Now, Now I want to put my Carolina hat on. Do you, mm-hmm. do you think Land could potentially play? I, he probably could play as stand up full time. I think or he in could. A th- I think in a three four, in a three yeah. four, I would love to see him in a three four stand up. That's why I wanted James. Houston. I wanted James Houston to go to Pittsburgh so bad. I, that's what I, I want him to go to Pittsburgh so bad. Like he, like him. So him, I wanted him this year, last year, and I wanted Aubrey to go to Pittsburgh this year because Aubrey Miller is a Pittsburgh linebacker. That's. 
that's literally like that's just that's just it just fits like he's just like gritty and he's like big and he's strong and he's violent he's angry and he's instinctual so you look at things like that and then like james houston the zone blitz scheme that's james houston bread and butter he's dropped back in the coverage multiple times the only thing i'm saying about land is and you know our panthers you know they that stop the run thing is big you know at least that's what we we promoted last year it didn't really work out this plan but historically, Carolina Panthers always had a stout run defense, you know, and I believe that's what we're trying to get back to. So Land is not – he just doesn't have the lower body strength and base yet to be a consistent five-tech plan to run. That does not mean he can't do it because he's an athlete and, like, pretty much everything everybody said about him that he needs to critique, uh, fix towards the end of his uh, career, he's fixing. He put on the weight. He's getting strong. He put up 21 reps. On twenty twenty five at the bench, which I I had him range between eighteen and twenty five, so that's fine. So he's getting strong. I could assure you, he wasn't doing twenty one reps maybe two three months ago. So he's a hard worker, and it seems like it's all paying off for him. So I just think, can Land fit in your scheme? Athletically, yes, I think he can fit in your scheme. Do I think that y'all gonna pull the plug on him after pulling the plug on James Houston last year to have two tweeners from a uh, from a, um, a HBCU? It wouldn't shock me. I mean, but at the same time, the, the only yeah. the, the only benefit the Lions have is that their GM is an HBCU alum. It helps. So it I helps. mean, it does help. So I'm trying to think for him. He wants to get the best guy. I think he he might make an effort to get an HBCU guy every year. So I just don't know which he already one. He just signed one. I think he just signed one from his alma mater because <laughs> he's an Aggie. I think, yeah. I think the thing with Landis, would it be fair to say he's kind of like, he's got the speed, he's the speed guy, but he doesn't have the bend of Houston. And I think, and that's a big thing, obviously, isn't it? Bend is huge. That yeah. takes you from being good to being elite if you've got the bend. But Land has everything else. I mean, a lot of his production comes from chasing back on plays, doesn't he? He doesn't give up on the play, he goes again. I, I love the motor that he has afterwards, and I love that he's put the weight on. 215, you're like, that's too light. That's way too light. So it's good to see him. At, I think it's 236, I think, now, isn't it? So yeah. He's going to get bigger. So he'll be fine. Like, he'll, he'll, be, he'll, he'll be fine. I'm... Okay. I'm not worried about land per se. I think yeah. he'll be fine. It's just he has to be in the right place. You just can't draft him to just say I got me an HBCU guy. He can be a better. He could really be a, a plug and play like a guy that hey, listen, we just need you to get this for us. Just get this. Just get this sack. But he can yeah. do that. Yeah, exactly. And I know we're talking about the top guys here, but Dave, I just want to quickly segue to you. You mentioned about Brad Holmes drafting a guy from his alma mater. You, I get this. You are the A and T guy, aren't you, Dave? You are the yes, guy. Yeah, so we, I know, have been talking a lot with the quarterback down there, Jalen Carter. I believe it's the A and T quarterback. Jalen Fowler. Fowler. Sorry, my apologies. Yeah. But you know, it's been widely told that we might be looking to improve our backup this year rather than go after Goff himself. But I know they've been having serious discussions with him. What What does he bring to the tables, Blake? So you get to see him quite a lot. So. He's he's a good QB. He's a decent quarterback. Um, do I don't think you want him starting? Not in the league, not yet. Oh, this will be a backup um, thing for now. Oh, it's a backup. Oh yeah, he could but, probably be a backup. He absolutely. Um, he he does make he makes good decisions. He can make the throws. Um, very smart. He's very smart. He could pick. He's very smart quarterback. Yeah. Um, you know he you know like Gerald gives me grief about all the conference switches. 
<laughs> but one thing is certain. One thing. One thing is certain. Um, he he. When you talk about Jalen had to sit on the bench for years because we had other quarterbacks in line. So and he pretty much waiting in line. They brought in a transfer from ECU after we beat their behinds. Yeah. They beat him out when he got his opportunity. Then coming into this season, he lost to a redshirt freshman mm-hmm. going into the first game of the season. He lost the back, the quarterback battle. So we went into the season with the first game of the season. We fought North Carolina. We placed North Carolina Central. We lost. Then that same kid had to go to North Dakota State. Got demolished. Mm-hmm. All right. Then we played the third game was Duke. Mm-hmm. Got demolished. Mm-hmm. Then we went to South Carolina State, we had to play four quarterbacks in that yeah, game. remember that. And that's when Fowler got his job back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Fowler was the starter for pretty much the remainder of the season. He was our best quarterback the whole year. <clears throat> he was one of the best quarterbacks in HBCU football, but I will say this. There weren't too many good quarterbacks in HBCU football this year. Yeah. You had, you had Richard. You had Shador Sanders, who's now out in Boulder. Mm-hmm. You had... You had um, Musa. Musa. You had uh, I. I like Q. Will from Howard. That's his knee. Yeah, I like Q. Will. Q. Will. Q. Will made strides. You know, Q. Will made strides. He was struggling at the beginning, but he made strides throughout the season. Yeah. And then after that, it's kind of like body was good the season before, but he had a down year this year. Yeah, and then you got Golat from uh, Bowie State, who they said he had conversations with the Redskins. Ooh. Kyle Commanders. Oh, I'm so sorry. The, the, I'm, the I'm, team. The team. <laughs> this is why we call them the team. They're the team. I used to work, I used to work for them, so like, I'm so used to it. My family's from D.C., so it's like I'm so used to wow. it. So, Commanders. Yeah, oh, I just call them the team. They're, they're the team until further notice. Maybe I'll call them the Commanders once they once they sell the team. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Team until further notice. I'm not gonna lie there, Dave. I was hoping for kind of a better sell job for him there. You know, we've got Lions fans in the chat, so you know, I'm I'm looking for a backup. I'm gonna be honest with you, man. Like, I'm gonna be honest with you. A and T has always been a grind your out running team. That's what yeah. we always been. That's we're indeed. RBU. Yeah. We're RBU. That's what A and T is. Well, like we ain't, we're not like we weren't like the, there was like one one celebration bowl we dropped sixty four on Alcorn, and the shit. only reason why we did that was because they were talking shit like they weren't gonna, they weren't gonna, they said they were gonna shut us down. Yeah. So Sam Washington wanted to prove a point, and Carter wanted to prove a point, and so we just dropped sixty four, just to prove a point. There we go. So <laughs> yeah, I think he got six touchdowns that game. Yeah. But, um, so tough. so yeah. So I say all that to say. We we pro- we're we're known more for our offensive linemen, our running backs. That's what we're known for. We're RBU. That's what we you know. So okay, I, I think Fowler. I think Fowler will be good as a. I think Fowler will absolutely do well in the NFL so, as a backup. I don't. I just don't see him at the start. So 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 we can classify this as massive untapped potential because of scheme. That's how we can work that one. That's fine. I can, I can, I can deal with that. Yeah. that, that, that yeah. That's yeah. absolutely yeah. fine. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Ryan, um, back to back to the main prospects. And the here. thing is, and, and he didn't. And the thing is, just like we just talked about the Legacy Bowl, and yeah. how the fact the offensive line didn't help. He probably played the best out of all the quarterbacks, probably. But the God of Mine, I like running yeah. for his life every play. Like he was running for his life every single play. That's all the highlight. My boy, my man from my boy Samar from Blue Death Valley dot com. He yeah. shit the highlight reel for him. 
He was running for his life every single play. But I did really like his pr his presence in the pocket under pressure. He felt oh, yeah. it. Oh, Where, yeah. Whether he needed to feel oh, it, yeah. I just knew it was oh, coming. Knew. But but oh, no, no, he knew. But he, he played well. He played well in that yeah. situation. <laughs> and he should have got a touchdown. Leslie dropped the ball. That should have been a touchdown. I saw that. I was kind of disappointed in Leslie, bro. Because yeah. normally he would catch that. I was yeah. kind of hurt when I saw that Zach Leslie got that. There we go. And so that tells you another thing. That also tells you that Trey Oliver knew all our plays. But of course he would. He knew all our stuff. Because we uh, did that in AT all the time. Oh, dear. Right. Yeah. Um, so, going back to the big prospects. Is Ryan, anyone else you want to mention? Yeah. I like Bonds. Like I say, I, I, I was watching some of the things. Uh, I, I watched some of his like, uh, highlight reels. I saw some of his films that season. It, he kind of, I saw some things from like DJ Chark, the ability to catch the ball outside of his frame. Like he, he's able to adjust and catch balls down threat a good deep. You only need to give him a few balls a game and he can put up some good yardage. Like you say, he measured in at a good size. What was he? Was he, good six, he was a good six foot three, wasn't he? So he's yeah, kind of that X body that they cover in the NFL. Yeah, they gave like him He's going to have to be a guy though that, like say, he's going to have to be a gunner on special teams, isn't he? He might have to like, kick or pump, like you say, that'll make his bread and butter. I feel like he's got those traits you cover as an X receiver or as like a Z on the outside, potentially at the next level. I agree. Uh, he in I love that the Shrine Bowl had him as having him on special team. Uh, he was on kickoff. So I was like, yes. Okay. And he looked good. So I was like, okay, yes. He's on kickoff. Good. I love it. So now that he's on kickoff, you know, now it's like, okay, we have a legitimate uh, future ex receiver that he's a little bit raw, but I can't name twenty receivers in this class better than Jada Kisbon. That's just me. I'm not, I can't name twenty more better than him. So I just feel like off of that he should get drafted because the production is there. He played in multiple conferences, had good football, and he was productive. Everybody knew where the ball was going, and he still was able to be the productive. He's one of my favorite. No, is he? He's my favorite favorite red zone target. And at six, he's about six three, about six three, about two hundred pounds. He looks like a receiver. Like you know, some guys just look like a receiver. And he has that calm demeanor. I like that. He's like, okay, yeah, I, I, I know I got this. I'm not worried. Like he has, he's very calm. And when he's been in and out of his breaks, you know, it's it's like deceptive speed. Like he's the guy I believe he can. He probably get around like a four five, no slower than four five. And I think that's going to be a nice little time for him. Four 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 five. Uh, in and out of his breaks, he's kind of he's kind of twitchy, and he has really good run after the catch ability as well. The first guy I miss, he's going to take that pretty far. So I I, I like Jadakiss. Jadakiss is my number four overall HBCU pro, uh, prospect. Um, I have him graded as a day three guy. Uh, you know, I I really I really have high hopes for him because he gives you everything you need out of an X receiver. He can run everything on the route tree. He can block. You know, I I mean. He could play in the slot. I mean, he's he's quick, he's fast. He has really good hand. I think his drop percentage is under ten percent, uh, according to PFF. So I mean, he doesn't drop the ball too much. He could go across the middle. He'll take the big hit. I mean, you could put him on an end around if you need to. I mean, he could do anything you need him to do at wide receiver position, and the production is there. So you can't. No one can tell me that there are twenty receivers in this class that's not a deep class better than Jada Kisbon. So I mean. I'm very high on him, just like I know you said you are. Um, he will be – he will come off the board before the other receivers, before Shaq Davis and, um, and Dallas Daniels, I believe. Um, 
I really like Jadakus Ball. I think he's got he's he has a shot that like by year two or three, he's getting legitimate reps and like being like a focal point of someone's offense if he gets like he just continues to get it right. I like him. Do do you have a draftable grade on Xavier Smith as well then now, after the week in question? What I what, oh. what I say <laughs> I go man, look Go on Dave, go on Dave. <laughs> Wait, Dave. listen man. Listen man. One Listen. thing I like about this kid, bro, uh-huh. when you have four three speed, and you can, if you put that kid in a slot, don't let the Chiefs get that man. <laughs> we cannot let the Chiefs get this man. We can't. We cannot. I don't know if we want Watson to get him either. Would be enemy there. We cannot let these guys get that man. I completely. <laughs> I completely understand. Dog. But, you know, they're – listen, could the right system turn him into a superstar? For sure. It's just going to – what team is going to do it? I mean, because, you know, for the most part, people had Zay maybe like in the – he might have been the fourth best HBCU receiver, you know. But but that's just due to the him, his size and him not having much special teams value to some scouts. That's just what some scouts are saying. I think if you give him more opportunities in a special teams game, he may be able to, you know, maybe. I I think special teams, I personally, I think people are born with that. I don't really know too many people that just, like, when they were just in peewee, like, they just get the ball, they just knew where to run. Like, they just knew where to run. Them. And, like, you know, I don't think you could train that. I Me, mean, personally, a train to be a better kick return, you could train to catch the ball better, you know, different angles. Be catching the ball, but to be like to have that vision as a kick and punt returner, I think that's just something that just comes. That just comes so natural, and I just if they give him the uh, opportunity to do so, I'm sure he will thrive. But I mean, people reach all the time on these FBS guys, and they miss a lot. So, what would it hurt you to reach on a guy that's pretty much giving you the the stats and the all the production you need to say he's a one of the top FCS receivers to play in the past five, probably five years. I mean, like I said, everybody knew where the ball was going when you played FAMU. And for some reason, they could not stop it. Still had a 1,000 yards. You know, still had you know a what? lot. You know what, man? I know I know an undersized wide receiver that started his career on special teams. Ended up being an all-pro as a kicker in the punt returner. There you go. His name is Steven. You know, I got the interview back in October. Steve Smith Sr. ended up becoming an all pro. One of the more, one of the only players in NFL history to lead the league in yards, receptions, touchdowns in the same season. Right after he broke his leg the season before. Now, I will say, the only difference is Steve's a little, he played a little angry, a little little violent. Zay's not his game. But maybe, maybe, maybe Xavier and Steve already had a meeting. It was like, all right, man, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna make this happen. You know what I'm saying? We're gonna, we're gonna. It would not shock me, due to you know his coach is very tied in. His coach is very you know likable, and coach knows some really good people. So I mean, it wouldn't shock me if they had a conversation with a with a uh, with somebody like that with a Steve Smith. So, but Steve Smith is on the bandwagon, and they're gonna continue to talk about. It. So I mean, some teams gonna have to do something. I mean, now that you have the film, and now everybody can see it, they're like, oh, wow. Like, why aren't y'all looking at this kid? Like, what's the real reason? And if it's just special teams, it's like, all right, man. I get it, but 
just get the ball in his hand and just see what happens. And then you give him a shot and don't work out, don't work out. But just they, reach. They, they, they got Go to ahead. interview these kids. They got to interview these kids, right, at the combine? Yeah, they yo they had a bunch of. Oh well, of- nah. If if they got to if they got to interview that man and he get, and he interviewed well, I feel like he interviewed. He drafted, bro. Most of the kids, yeah, they they. I've been told they interview our the HBCU kids have interviewed very well, which is a very good thing to hear. But you know, we got yeah. a lot of FBS transfers, and you know, a lot of those situations aren't always the greatest. So you got a guy like uh, Kamari Everett, huge tight end from uh, Bethune Cookman. Like six six legit six six two fifty. Some people say he might be taller. I don't know how that works, but they say he's six six two fifty. Huge. And he did well and he interviewed well and he practiced well. Some people were saying he was the best player at the NFLPA ball. So, you know, there's a, he's another guy that rounded he was in my he's in my top ten as well. And like, you know, it's a pretty top heavy tight end class. It's three it's in my it's a three top tight ends and then it's pretty much everybody else. So it's like, okay, can Kamari Everett Slide into that position, and you know who doesn't want a six foot six, two hundred fifty pound tight end? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm aware I've kept everyone quite a while here, and so if you, you know, for the NFL job, you've done your list there. Do you want to tell us the list of players on there, and let's give them love, the guys who are at the top, and and what they bring, so people can find out a bit more about them. Yeah. So, uh, oh, just want to put this out here. Uh, draft HBC. We have our draft guide uh, dropping on March six. Um, to my knowledge, this is like you, I don't think anybody's ever done a HBCU scouting guide for HBCU play. I don't think that's been. I've never heard of one. If there is one, please somebody let me know. Um, but we're dropping the guide on March six. It's on our website, and I'll make sure I plug it in. <clears throat> um, it's on com. So com. We're dropping our uh, draft guide, and we will have. Ooh, I got to check. Yeah, I believe we have forty. Two uh, potential prospects, draft eligible guys in the, the draft guide. Um, so we have right now my top ten. I'm trying to stick to this. It's been moving around. I really want to. It's probably gonna move around a little bit more after the uh, combine is over with Mark Evans. I just want to see, but he's pretty much my consensus number one. Mark Evans, the swing offensive lineman, he played left tackle, but he kicked into side, uh, kicked inside to play left guard, right guard. He played a little bit of center during the Shrine Bowl week. Had a really good. Really good week. Um, very mobile, very agile for a center up uh, for a left guard. So you have these, you know, when you see a guy like um, the kid from Pittsburgh, when they can't see, you see guys like that that are really quick on the inside. You need guards that are not just big maulers because you can just run right around them. So you got a guy like Mark Evans who has the left tackle acumen, the left tackle athletic, athletic ability on the inside. So now all you got to do is put a little bit more weight on him, kick, you know, get some more, uh, get some strength on him, and work on his base. He's going to be phenomenal in, on the inside. I still think he could play left left tackle. I I comped him to Kelvin Beecham because Kelvin Beecham ain't nothing but six three even, I believe, or maybe a little less than that. And he played left tackle legit for the uh, for the Cardinals, and he played for the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. So they didn't really kick him inside too much. So. I think Mark Evans could still play on the outside, but I do believe that he will transition well to the interior. And, uh, and he, Miller. sorry, he quickly he played really well against good opposition. The game I watched of him is when Pine Bluff got blown out by Oklahoma State. But those four guys on the first line, the the least experienced guy had like thirty games, and what I saw of him during the game, he held up incredibly well against them. I think he gave up one penalty because the quarterback kept dropping into the pocket. It's not really on him there, but he yeah. looks solid against legit opposition. That that D line is no joke. I think he, 
he has big hands. Big hands, once he gets the hands on you, it's over with. And then he has really good punch and extension. So, I mean, against the, in his run game, he has to become a little more aggressive and work on, like, you know, certain, like, just the little technical stuff when it comes to combination blocking. But that's just, that comes, that's, that's going to be fine. Good offensive line coach will fix that without a problem. That's not an issue. So, I, I like, he's my number one guy. Um, Aubrey Miller was number two. Him and Land are kind of tied for number two. I think Land is gonna, you know, jump him because he did have a really good combine. But I'm gonna probably my list probably gonna change again after all the pro days are done. But I would say right now is Mark Evans number one, number two, RB Miller, three Isaiah Land, four Jadakus Bonds, five Dallas Daniels, seven. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, five Dallas Daniels, six Kamari Everett. I uh, have uh, Emmanuel Wilson number seven, uh, Isaiah Bolden number eight, Shaq Davis nine, Andrew Farmer ten. That's my top ten, and then. My 11 through uh, 11 through 20, Keyshawn Moore, Ian Isaac, Dejon Warren, Derrick Hagens, uh, Maurice Washington, uh, Xavier Smith, Alfonso Graham, Ronnie Thomas, Robert Mitchell, and um, um, uh, Jermaine McDaniel. So that rounds that Jermaine out. Jermaine McDaniel was number 20. Man. You're so disrespectful to my Aggies. I'm not mad dis- that we left the conversation. Listen, everybody on this guy's draft. So we've had a few questions about the Jackson State ones, but Aubrey Miller, again, I listened to you do your breakdown of him on HBCU Nightly. You described him as what you think he might be a Ted linebacker at the next level. He is the guy who goes in, like whoops the offensive lineman and creates the gaps for the more blitzing linebacker mics to come through there. Is that is that what you sort of see him doing at the next level? Is that how you see teams, you know, is that why you're projecting him to Pittsburgh? Because they, they don't call it Blitzburg for no reason. He could be the guy who goes in there and... He's a ferocious. He's an AFC. He's playing the AFC North. That just fits his his makeup. Like he just needs. That's he's a hard nosed, hard working special teams. By the way, special team. He's out of everybody on this list. He's the best special teams. Uh, he has the highest special teams uh, acumen out of anybody I got in the top ten. He loves special teams. He loves it. He posts on Instagram how he just does well on kick return. Like you don't see that from top prospects, bro. Like he. But I, I will give Jackson State that. Their best players, for the most part, play special teams. So they, I mean, they know. Like, you know, when you're a small school guy, you have to have more than just saying, oh, I can tackle, I can run, I can't. No, can you, can you play special teams and do it effectively? So I like Old Miller a lot. I want him to go to a team that has a 3-4 system where he could just be a Ted backer and just lay people out. That's what he's really good at. And he's very instinctive. And there's a knock on him for not being good in pass coverage. He did way better in pass coverage this year than he probably ever did in his college career. And I think with a system like Jackson State, which forces you to play a lot of man coverage, or he's playing a lot, playing a spy, a spy on a certain quarterback. You know, during the, during the um, Campbell game, he had some, a couple spy opportunities as well, and he did very well in that aspect too. And he's beating up these big offensive linemen from Campbell. I mean, Campbell was struggling to get anything going, and they had a huge – off the line with that big pace, with that fast pace they had. I mean, he's going into the chest of these guys. Now, we'll say, I mean, I, I don't, that's one knock. He think he, he, I believe he thinks he can knock anybody over, which is fine, you know. But, you know, there's, you know, guys like Quentin Nelson that, you know, they ain't just going to let people just run up in their chest like that. So, you know, he's got to be careful, you know. So, but I love that he has that tenacity with him, and he brings it. He brings us so much fight, and he's a leader. You like that? See that? You like to see that with your middle linebacker? So, yeah, I'm high on Miller. I, he's he's number two. He's probably not going to move. I still like Land, but 
I just think Miller brings more from a special teams aspect that kind of separates him from Isaiah Land to take the number two spot. Yeah, I I, I can see that. Um, you got any more questions, Riley, for the any of the draft picks? Uh, I've got a question, not about the draft picks. No, I'll go for it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I need to leave in a minute. So, my question is: You mentioned Jackson Erstate. So, there's a clip uh, that's bounced around on social media recently of Deion Sanders saying something. I want to get your thoughts. He said something oh. along the lines of, "He's he's willing to say that coaches like quarterbacks from parent families with two parents because they make more. I don't know." Oh, smart decisions, <laughs> but he likes his defensive linemen from a single mom households because they throw their shift on the shoulder. They play angry and they want to try and save her. I, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be honest, man, and I, I'm gonna go first only because Please go first, <laughs> you played. No, besides the fact you played, so I'm gonna go first because you played, and you're gonna have a completely different perspective of me because I did not play. I just watched. So, I think, do I think Deion Sanders is the first coach to think that way? Absolutely not. I don't think he's the first coach to think that way. I don't. I'm going to be honest. I don't. That doesn't give his ass a pass for saying it. <laughs> but that being said, for for me being a black black guy, it's disappointing to hear for him to say something like that in the public. You didn't even think it. To say in the public setting. And the, the thing that bothered me more than anything else was the laughter after yeah. it. That bothered me probably more than anything else yeah. was the fact that they laughed about it. Because that ain't okay. And he's a hypocrite. His son's <laughs> the quarterback for Colorado. His, his son is the quarterback for Jackson State. He's a single parent. He's been divorced a few times. Him, him and his mo- the mother, the mother of, of Shatur, that's not who, no. Like, He's pretty much a hypocrite. He's a walking hypocrite. He's a walking hypocrite right now. He's been a walking hypocrite for a while. But that's why it makes it hilarious to me. It's so like funny. so if so so it's it's it but it but it goes back to my theory of all how I've always felt about the whole situation with Dion. Dion did it for him. He didn't do it for anybody else. And and that's fine. That's how some people are. I was, I was say, I'll, I'll quickly expand on Ryan's point me and Ryan have discussed this before so you guys have much better insight to this but with, with Dion and with Ed Reed who came in and then left very quickly I mean when Dion there's a lot of things about you know, what Dion said during his time there and it seems with HBCUs at the minute it's a very big project to raise them up get them more noticed money in there etc and he said he was there you know to raise the profile and then he promptly left on there is it do you think is it, is it more damaging to have some of these like superstar guys come back and then have what's happened with them, or you know, was it good what he did, or would you rather someone be like, right, I really care about this, I'm in it for the long haul, like a decade plus, whatever, I'm going to come here, put my all into it. I, I don't know. What, what, what were your thoughts about it? I. How do I say? You want to go? I'm. You want to go for? Yeah, I'm like. Yeah, I'll, I'll just keep it very simple. HBCU. Alum, fans, the ones that love sports, we just want people that's going to come in and just just do what they say they're going to do. They, if you want to come in and coach and be the best coach you could be, do that. Don't come in thinking you have to save us because we've been around for a long time. And we've been very successful for a long time. 
Grambling State has more Hall Grambling State, Morgan State has more NFL Hall of Famers than a lot of FBS schools, okay? And and we're gonna have actually now South Carolina State, we'll see in the next ten years. They might, 10, 15 years, they may have a couple more in the Hall of Fame, Darius Leonard. No, 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 here's one for South Carolina State. South Carolina State has more Hall of Famers than South Carolina and Clemson. That, that is very true. He ain't lying. Wow. They don't have a player better than they Deacon have, Jones. They don't have a player better than Deacon Jones. <laughs> the name Sack came from Deacon <laughs> Jones. So, because he called that- it, it's like destroying a city. Is why yeah. came up with the main quarterback sack. But honestly, all in all, with Dion, okay, Dion did a lot for Jackson State per se, more than. But I'm a CIAA guy. I'm a D2 HBCU conference guy. He didn't really do much for us per se because we've been moving just fine for a long time. Now, like Dave will tell you, CIAA is probably the best ran conference in HBCU sports. So we're fine. Did he help the SEAC? Eh? Was, did he help the MEAC? Eh? South Carolina State is... <laughs> I mean, we want to compare South Carolina State to Colorado. I mean, you can even compare South Carolina State to Florida State within the last decade. And it is when it comes to the, like, the quality of player, it's really not that far apart. Personal opinion. Because you can always say, listen... They have two old pros from South Carolina State that play on the same team that's currently playing the NFL. I can't say too many FBS schools can say that. Not too many. So I think HBC were just fine. Now, was it a, uh, was it a spotlight more than more <laughs> interesting people joined the space because they, they felt like they had something to talk about? Yeah, we had people that just popped out of nowhere and just became HBCU experts overnight. Cool. But at the end of the day, it's about, you know, Working together to bring this thing to, to bring this thing higher, you know, get this thing higher. So I'm willing to work with anybody as long as their heart's in the right place when it comes to HBCU athletics, because that's what matters. We want it really is about the kids, and we should really started making this about these old men, these older men, these coaches, the fans. It's really about the kids' plan because you know this is where we go to. So I mean, it's about them. So I try to make sure with anything I talk about, anything I do, I always remember it's about the kids. You know, they they laying their lives literally laying their life on the line to play football. I mean, we just saw a guy, you know, heart stopped on the field. Anything could happen, and they're doing this for our university. So, I want people to come in out of genuine. You know, that's why I'm we're rooting for. Uh, Dave probably say it too. He rooted for Eddie George and Hugh Jackson, like because they just came in and they just worked. Like they're like, I don't know anything about this HBC landscape. Show me so I, we can work together and build something great. That's why I'm rooting for them. You know what I mean? I think they're them, and then there's coaches like Buddy Pugh and others that, like, they love being HBCU coaches. Like, that's all they want to do. And we have to appreciate guys like that, Trey Oliver. And even if a Trey Oliver went to go to FBS school after North Carolina Central, they win consistently. Nobody's mad because he didn't come in and say, hey, I'm here to save you all from your No. no. And he the thing is, Trey Oliver, Trey Oliver is getting the coach's alma mater. He's a North Carolina Central grad. You see me? So, like, for so for him, he's like, yo, I get to coach my alma mater, and he's paid his dude. He's, he's he's got a national championship. He's got a success there. But I just for I just I every I always remember when Sam Washington, when he was still the coach at A and T, somebody asked him, how does it how does it feel 
what has what has happened with regards to A&T since Deion Sanders has showed up into the HBCU atmosphere? And Sam Washington pretty much laughed and said, ain't nothing changed since Deion Sanders showed up to the HBCU atmosphere. That that hasn't affected A&T one bit. Because it doesn't. Like, it helped Jackson State. Like, like Jerry said, it helped Jackson State. But like I said the other day when somebody asked a similar question, it gave Jackson State the media attention. It gave them good media attention, and it gave them bad media attention. You don't just get the good. And I think a lot of alums got to understand this. And I try to explain this to them then. You don't get just the good media attention. You get all the media attention. You get the good, the bad, the ugly, the trifling. You get it all. You get every ounce of it. So, like, like when the whole fiasco happened with FAMU with the players, that new story wouldn't have been that big if yeah. Jackson State Dion wasn't with the SWAT. That, no. that wouldn't that wouldn't have been that big. That would have been some minor details. It wouldn't have gotten that big. Wouldn't have. It wouldn't. So it happens all. The, it happens all the time. My it happens all the time. <laughs> it happens all the time. Yeah, promise you. Just yeah, just even more pro, more high profile yeah, in so, this case so with like, all the so, famous. So. Yeah, and the thing about Dion, if Dion would have walked in there with an open mind, came in there, put his head down, was a coach, did what he had to do, executed, won, lost, indifferent, had his opportunity, gave, left with good professionalism, nobody would have said a thing. But he walked up in there talking like he was a savior. And people yeah. keep forgetting that he did. Yeah. Like people are got this revisionist history that he didn't do this. Yeah. And nobody asks the question of, well, why did he make the decision to become a head coach? Oh, you're letting his son beat the starting quarterback. Oh, nobody else is going to let him be a head coach without him paying his dues. Yeah. Oh, like, like, you know, there's some people that don't want to pay their dues. And our new AT head coach, Vincent Brown, they asked him the question. They asked him a Dion question during his opening presser. And he's like, well, I, I went a different path than some of these other guys. I actually wanted to learn how to coach. I actually started from the bottom and built my way up. I became an assistant coach. I eventually became a defensive coordinator, won a national championship. I And I ended up getting a coach at Virginia. Then I became an assistant head coach at William & Mary and won a share of the conference title of the CAA. And now I'm having an opportunity to become a head coach of an FCS program. So I didn't have the same path as some of these former professional NFL players like myself, who was also an all-pro professional NFL player, who was known as the Undertaker. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. so, like, there's different paths to this, man. And, I, and I'll ask those with the former NFL player, too. No, no, I, I, I completely get that 100%. Um, right, guys, I... <laughs> I am, I am aware that we've kept you all for a very long time, and I really do appreciate you guys no, devoting fun, your time here. So, um, I've got a couple of quick fire questions for the draft, and then we will uh, we will end with this. So, um, Grandizer asked a question in the chat. We talked about Aubrey Miller. He asks, do you have a comp for him in the NFL? Ah, Lawrence Timmons. Mm, that's a good comp, man. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I, I want him on the Steelers so bad. I will do. 
want I want Aubrey to be in the AFC North so he is an AFC North linebacker. That is what he is born to do. So I'm just putting that out there. Oh. AFC North linebacker. Come on, make it happen, AFC North. Make there, it happen. There you go, Grant. Hope that answers the question there. Right. And the, and the last one, we've talked about all these prospects in there. So four guys were drafted last year. The more, you know, priority free agents in there. But out of your heart of hearts, and I ask this to both of you, out of this class, how many get drafted in your mind? Oh, you know, the only thing that scares me is we had two players go to the combine this year, and we had four last year. And the the class this year but, is but not as. What do you think? The HBCU combine kind of like made I them. I think bigger. they improved upon. I think they improved upon the combine this year versus last year. So I'm not. So just because they didn't get invited to the the one in Indianapolis, doesn't. Yeah. I'm counting. I'm counting all the guys that ran last week in New Orleans. Fair enough. Same here. I'm, so I'm gonna say that's that's where I'm at. So I think we're gonna get more than four this year. I say my heart my heart wants to say that we're going to get we're gonna get about six. That's my heart. My heart says six. Cause we had six with including the UDFA last year. But I'm looking at this list. You can't tell me we can't get six of these guys drafted. There's no I mean the Alone, the top three have to get drafted. I, I just, you just I just, the top three have to get drafted. Like, Miller, Land, Evans. That That's set in stone for me. Yeah, they got to get and, 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 um, yeah, Xavier Smith's going to get drafted, bro. I mean, if if he's like, Miss, what do they call I hate the, is it Mr. Irrelevant? I kind of hate that they call it that. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I think. was a pretty damn good one. Yeah. <laughs> he almost made it to the Super Bowl. Imagine. So, I mean, I'll say. My heart says six. My my head is going to tell me four, just to temper my expectations. But I I could see six. I could see Miller, Land, Evans, Bonds, Everett, Everett. He's got the size. Yeah, Everett's interesting, man. I'm worried about Everett only because Everett should get drafted because of the size. He interviewed oh, well, Dave. That's the only thing. I'm, I'm going to give him that. He did interview well. Okay. So, him and Dallas Daniels. So, I think I think we get it. Well, I will say it's between Shaq Davis and Everett are kind of my toss-up for number six. Because you don't Shaq, think somebody will take a, take a flyer on Shaq because of the size? They have to. Someone's going to. He's 217 pounds, six foot five. Someone's going to do Yeah, they, somebody's got to. But that's my point, like. It's a matter if they're gonna take the flyer in the to take a late draft pick versus, um, um, just grabbing them in a, right right after the draft's over. If he runs a he four gets, four, a four four forty at his pro day, he's gonna get drafted. Hand, it's like won't, won't be a doubt. If he could do that, he'll be fine. So that's that's what I assume he's gonna do. So I'm gonna just say, you know what? Screw it. Six. We're going six. We're going six. Six guys. There you right go. Now. There you go. You've heard it from the guys who scout, who see yeah. all this. We're going six. We're gonna blow last year out the war. And like I say, I think these so kids. I got a, I got a, I got a, que- I got a question for you, Gerald. Man, if if, if, we, if we draft these guys, you think Deion Sanders gonna pop up and take credit? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just having fun now, guys. I'm just, all out. Where's, where's Dave's cauldron I, and the spoon? Right. I just, <laughs> yo, I just, yo, fam, I just at this point, I just have fun with it. 
Because after what Matt Rule did, after 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 Steve Wilkes started winning these games, and Matt Rule try to appear and try to take my man's credit away after he started winning football games, I know Deion's gonna make this appearance. You know what I'm saying? Well, I'll say this: Deion has so far, he has Houston drafted by the NFL. He has uh, C.J. Holmes at the, in the XFL. He has uh, Al Young in the U.S. Is it the USFL or CFL? He has uh, he's he has Nugget in the USFL. He has Isaiah Bolden in the uh, USFL. So he has five professional football players since his, his two years there. So that's pretty good. I'll give it to him. I mean, you know, it's not it's not Buddy Poe, but it's a good start. You know, I mean, it's not Buddy. I mean, it's even Sam, even uh, Rob Broadway yeah. did a pretty damn good for A&T. Broadway and Sam Washington did a pretty good for A&T, too. Yeah. So, I mean, you know. Listen, all I care about is the kids. Get, they want to go to the league. If I got to break down film all night to showcase why they should be able to play in it, that's what I'm going to do. And yeah. that's what Malik's going to do. That's what Tim's going to do. That's what Nook's going to do with Draft HBCU. And guess what we're going to do on Wednesday? We're going to talk about it with Dave and Josh and them and Marco. So, it's, like I said, it takes everybody. Like, yeah. everybody's not a scout. Everybody's not an on-air personality. I personally feel that every podcast I've ever done because I hate doing production on my own stuff. So that's just me. <laughs> like, I was a production assistant, and me trying to do my own podcast while I'm trying to talk, I can't. So everybody has a lane. So I know my lane. Dave, Josh, that's their thing. So they, when they say this, I could come on and just speak. Sure, because as you can see on the show, I don't mind doing that for two and a half hours. So, <laughs> so everybody had role. And listen, when when PNP started, somebody about a couple years after PNP went, one of my coworkers at my job actually was like, "Yo, so so what do you do on the show?" It was like, "Well, you know, you know, my boy Rashad, he you know he sets up the he does the slides, but I just show up and I give ideas and stuff. You know what I'm saying? I got the Steve Smith interview and I told the Patreon how it happened." But, um, you know, but, you know, I'll just show up. I'll just show up and talk. I'll set my camera up, you know, hopefully I don't break it like I did this one. You know, I'll just show up and talk. And then, you know, and and I'll, I'll throw a hot take in here and there. And a lot of times I tend to be right. That's about to say. Like let's try to go out the That sounds like me. That, that is Ryan. He has his own show, Ryan's Rants. He comes on and does something like that. But I agree with you, Dave. I, I see you come on to HPC Nightly and you just poke the bear and off it goes. When you come in... <laughs> The chat goes crazy. I just pick my spots, man. I just what I do. Like that's what I do. I, I just pick my spot. I do it oh. on Twitter too, because yeah. it's like, especially because like my my Twitter followers now, like I got like a pocket of hip hop fans, a pocket of Panthers fans, and now I got like a pocket of HBCU folks. So I know when to poke certain bears, and some of those HBCU <laughs> folks are Jackson State alum. So I know when to poke certain ones when I want to poke them. You know, it's just you know, just pick my spots. Oh, I love it. I love it. Right. It's all love, though. It's all love. It is. Oh, it is very much indeed. And again, we've not been able to go through even all the stuff I wanted to do. I wanted to try and have a talk about HPCU next season, but I'm hoping that you gents will come back on with us again during the summer. We break down all the FBS conferences for the 2023 season. We do a preview. I hope you guys will come back and we can do a preview for the HBCUs as well and shine the light on these guys before the season starts. So more people know names out there so I, I hope you would like to come back and do that with us so 
Appreciate it. No, no, no worries at all. Um, and you've gone down very well with the audience. Uh, everyone loves you guys. So you know, really, really appreciate you coming on, adding something. And it's been great to it's been great to go through everything here. So before we do sign out, as I've as I've mentioned. These guys do some incredible spaces, work on HBCU football. I just want to give you guys a platform to promote that, get people to come in and see. So if you want to mention HBCU Nightly to Scouting, please, this is this is your platform. I'll make it quick. Um, I put it, I was actually, uh, I went to the YouTube, I saw people asking about, asking about a list. So uh, I went to the YouTube page and I put my, I put the drafthbcuplayers.com and I put my twitter.com. Uh, my Twitter uh, handle in the, uh, the, the the chat as well, so you can find me at uh, Coach underscore Huggins Junior on Twitter and DraftHBCUPlayers.com. Uh, we will be dropping our uh, our draft guide on March sixth. Um, and what else we got going on? Actually, that's pretty much it. Cause we just need to get this wrapped up. So I'm about to transition a little bit of more a little bit more baseball after football is done uh, with the scouting and stuff. But for the most part, just keep following us. Um, you can see uh, my, uh, a guy, Malik, he's a founder. Uh, Tim, he's another founder. We have Nooks, Addy, uh, Kalen, Delon, Greg. Shout out to all the to all the people on Draft HBCU. We're small but mighty. Wu-Tang. Yeah. Dave, if you want to from PMP as well, just we have not forgotten about the transgression the Panthers have shown to the Lions here. We will revisit this at a later date. <laughs> What you did in that game and what you've done with our staff. Consider this on hold, just because we've been going so long. But we will be back. So please. Listen, man. Listen, man. We still need a quarterback, bro. Don't don't do this. The Panthers fan base right now don't know what to do with themselves. Listen, you should just enjoy the torture that's happening right now. We did a live draft and we couldn't trade up to go get a guy. And we were sitting at nine and shut out to walk the mile. We were sitting at nine, and me and Rashad was like, we got to trade out of this pick. Couldn't trade out of this pick. And the only quarterback that was available was Will Levis. Mm. And I didn't want Will Levis. Oh, you might, may as well just stick with Donald. Stick with Sam Donald. I don't have <laughs> Sam Donald. He's the free agent. Oh. The only oh. quarterback that's on our roster right now is Jacob Eason and Matt Corral. Oh. Based on the interviews I saw, they're done with Corral, guys. <laughs> they're done. Oh, that's a shame. But I thing. told y'all that when we drafted them. Because yeah. we knew that rule was going to get fired. <laughs> but, you know. Okay, well. For short term, all right, so, Panther Nation Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Panther Nation PC. Large independent show on YouTube that covers the Carolina Panthers. Uh, we do draft. We do draft analysis. Uh, Rashad does draft breakdowns. I'm going to start the fantasy football bag very, very soon. Um, and we also go live. We change the day that we go live. We go live now on Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, so me and Rashad go live then. Um, you know, we still do the occasional breaking news. Rashad has been covering the combine this week, so check him out. He, he's been live streaming. So you need to check him out live because we ain't trying to get no hits. So he, we, he goes live and he deletes it immediately. But he has been covering the combine this week and breaking down some of these speeches 40 times. You know what I'm saying? So that's us. Uh, so we're on Twitter at PC. My personal Twitter handle is at Champ B1012, if you just want to bother me. My Twitter page goes all over the place. HBCU, hip hop, Panthers, uh, video games occasionally. I've been overdue to do some streams, but we'll see. So I'll put my Twitter handle on the in the chat right there too. Well, so just follow me if you want to hit me up personally, but otherwise for the channel is at Panther Nation PC. That's on TikTok, Instagram, 09. 
Excellent. And for us here at Roar of the Lions UK, we will be back Monday. We're talking positional groups for the upcoming draft. I believe we're doing defensive tackle this time. And then me and Ryan will be back next Wednesday with the College Football Podcast. We're going to be talking combine and we're going to be taking a look at the pro day circuit who to keep an eye out on, who to look out for. So please do come and join us then. So you know where we are on socials. I'm not going to go through that. We've been going ages. Just once again, I want to thank all you gentlemen for joining this evening. This has been terrific. I've really enjoyed it. And I hopefully we get to do it again sometime. Thank you to everyone who's joined. I know they've enjoyed it in the chat as well. So thank you for now. And until next time, we shall see you later. And one pride. Thanks, guys. It's been great talking. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much.